Welcome back to 1010's Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Grout, not live from the Kanga Motorsports Studio with Adam Nielsen on Zoom and standing over my left shoulder. Hey. How? Dude, we haven't done this in a while. Just me and you? Just like a regular show. No, it's been it's been kind of weird. Like we've got, we yeah, had a bunch of, bunch of people on, and then the times that we do try to do it, just us, fucking life kicks us right in the dick. Yeah. And it says, wife. no show this week. My wife <laughs> got sick last week, and then- My wife is sick this week. Well, yeah. My wife is sick with the, the things she's normally sick with. Oh. Your wife is sick with- The Rona. The worst stuff. Yeah, the Rona. So I am stuck at home dealing with what I assume is my case of the Rona. Because it's kind of hard to live next to somebody and sleep next to them when they know they have it with pretty severe symptoms, and then you not have it. So I assume that I have it. I just either haven't had symptoms yet, or I am very, very, very lucky, and my symptoms are about almost negligibly uh, small. Well, I woke up Sunday morning with a runny nose that got worse throughout the day, and by the end of the day, I was feeling achy and crappy, but never ran a fever. Yep. And I stayed home Monday, but felt better. And so I worked by myself all day Tuesday, and I worked with another guy who just got over his his round of coronavirus two weeks ago today. Uh, and I had a test today. So we'll see if that test comes back because I'm still not totally convinced that I'm not uh, sick as well. How was the test? I, I, I mean, there's no point. In, like I'm, I'm sent home from work. I'm not going anywhere for two weeks regardless. Yeah. So, I just, so this is the second time I've got it. And um, I feel like this wasn't as bad as the first time. But I don't know if that's just because I knew what was coming or if it just really wasn't. But it sucks. So I, I, I've, I've, I think I've seen it done, like on like the news and shit. So like, do they tip your head back and then shove a Q-tip to the to your yeah. brain, or how's that work? Yeah. So they take a Q-tip and they try to find uh, where your stomach exits into your lower or to your small intestine. They try to find that through your nasal cavity. It's really sweet. Wait, what? No, I'm just. Kidding. But it's so <laughs> goes so, dude. You. <laughs> You don't realize, like, I, I think sometimes you kind of forget, like, how far back in your nose your, goes. Yeah, your sinus, right? your like your sinus ca- or your uh, yeah. Yeah, cavities and stuff. And the fact that like that's all connected, right? Yep, yep. Like, I guess you kind of don't really think about it, but man, they get way in there. Yes, I've never. I d- swear, if that would have gone another quarter inch, I would have gagged on it. <laughs> that's probably true because that would have been like that same. Where like we can hawk a loogie from, so like the, yeah. it's that same area, I would imagine. Yeah, like I feel if if you would have put a ninety degree bend on it, it probably would have come back out and like rubbed the back of my teeth. Oh, like it's like the, the worst. Oh, it's like the people believe it or not, where that dude would like snort uh, spaghetti noodles and then like pull it back and forth. I went to Bible <laughs> camp with a kid that could do that. Oh my god, people are so weird. We had like a like a talent show, right? Yep. And there was a kid doing that in the talent show, and he had like a whole piece, and he would take it, and he would like seesaw it back and forth. Gross. And then he put, I was like, he just like whip it out, and I still remember <laughs> that. No, and then he would like he would plug the other nostril, and he would blow, and it would just go flying out of his nose the whole damn thing. It was, I was like, first of all, how do you figure that out? 
And secondly, like, why are you showing people this? That's disgusting. He got but so. I'm still so fascinated that I can't look away. Yeah, like a train wreck. But at the same time, he probably got so much tail at Bible Camp. I, I have no <laughs> idea. Bible Camp was weird. Bible it was camp. not as weird as Lake Owen, which was like a miniature. Uh, oh, uh, fuck, I did it. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, it was not as weird as Lake Owen, which was like a miniature camp Woodward that I went to two years. Uh, Lake Owen's a, like a skate camp. Yeah. A so huge, it was a huge skate, skate camp. park. It was also a gymnastics camp. Oh. And yes. so there was like, there's like literally 200 skateboarders, rollerbladers, BMXers, but then there's like two or 300 gymnasts there too. That sounds awesome. It was. Was it awesome? The ordeal. It was quite the ordeal. Did you guys like fr- fraternize? Not very much. Oh, that's disappointing. I don't know. I was pretty focused on skating. I'm going to be completely honest with you, Robbie. Plus, you're yeah, you're pretty young. Yeah, I was. Well, the uh, the second year, I, I drove there and back myself. You're really that old when you went? I was 17. Had Damn. my Cavalier. I, that was always like my dream. I always wanted to go. I never could. Yeah, I went. Uh, I went my first year. My mom. And my little sister and I, we tripped up there. I think maybe my grandma went with us. And they dropped me off. And then I think they did some, like, stuff on their way home. Maybe they stayed up there the whole time but weren't near the camp. They went and did other things. I don't remember. And then we went back home. And then the second year, I remember, I drove up there. So, like, they did this thing where you could work. And um, you would miss, like like, one or maybe two sessions a day out of the like six or eight sessions you did, like you could skate 10 or 12 hours a day. Right. Yep. And, um, they would move you around. Um, cause there's like three or four different skate parks there and they would move you around different sessions to keep like, keep people separated. Um, like bikers and bladers and boarders and then, uh, bladers, there weren't really enough of us to split us up by, um, skill group but i think the skateboarders might have been okay so like like newbies and people who were a little bit better um but then you could do this thing where you would work and you would miss like two hours a day of skating but you would like make food serve food clean dishes mop floors wipe down tables whatever and it was like half the cost yeah that seems worth it and you skated so much that, like, most of the time, you, especially towards the end of the week, you didn't skate the whole day anyway. No. And so that's what I did the second year. And it's it's hard to skate that long and not hurt yourself. So hard. <laughs> I remember when we would go up to uh, Detroit for uh, Bitter Cold Showdown, we'd skate, like, three days straight. And then, like, we'd I'd skate so much that, like, the muscles in my arms were sore from, like, flailing back and forth. That's yeah. how much we skated. So it was just like, do you do that for three days and then don't, don't skate for like a month? And, and then this was like <laughs> Monday through Saturday or Monday through Friday. You had a five day uh, deal. Yeah, I always wanted to go. That was like my my dream camp, and I never got to go. I did I did Bible camp a couple times. Not the same. I think the first year I had to do 
I had to do a week at Bible camp in order to get my mom to let me do a week at Lake Owen. And then the second year, the deal was that if, that I could go, but I had to pay for it. So that's why I did the work. Yep. Yeah, I think my I parents think. my parents said I had to pay for it no matter what. And that's why I never went. I don't think it was like as bad as you think it is. No. Like, I think it was it, less it re- than $1,000 for the week. Yes, but at, at $14,000 goes a long ways. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, now yeah, now it's like, oh, you know, I could budget for that, I can make that work. But at fourteen, I was like, I can't budget for this and, and, and do anything. Yeah. You're not wrong there, I suppose. So but no, I always wanted to go. That was that was cool. I and then I remember the second year on my way home I met my family in Brainerd, Minnesota, and we went to the NHRA race. Nice. At B I R. That'd have been cool. That'd have been a cool week, just all around. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. That was what we did on the way home. So, yeah. Skate podcast. I'm I'm good with that. I don't care about cars anymore. Cars are I met some I met some pros there. Rob G. Robert Guerrero. Yep. Oh, He's the nicest guy. I, I brought that. a I buddy him. with me from Algona that year. Yeah. And he gave him two letters in skate. It's a big deal. It's just kind of <laughs> kind of a big deal cuz Rob Guerrero was like one of the most well-rounded rollerbladers on the planet. Yeah, especially at that time, man. He was, yeah, he was super talented. Yeah, dude was straight killing it. I remember he signed a poster for me at Bitter Cold, and uh, it said, keep it 90s, bro. I still have it somewhere. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I live Is my that life. why you're still into 90s cars? Yeah. I you're d- just trying, you're 90s just trying music. to live up to Rob G's expectations? Yeah, 90s music, 90s clothes. That makes sense. Yeah, 90s skating. 90s clothes, you need some, like, uh, I suppose, Jinkos. Jinkos are, like, are early 2000s, or is that like 90s? early 2000s. I don't so know. You're probably all right. You probably don't have to buy those. Late, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, it's all the same. I suppose. But, yeah, I live my life that way. I, just, I keep it 90s, bro. I don't know what that means. I mean, there's worse <laughs> things to do, I guess. No, it's the best. 90s was the best. That's what I'm saying. There was worse. There's worse eras to be living. Yeah, like the 80s. No, I was thinking like the 50s. <laughs> like, you don't want to keep it 50s, bro. Or, That's, yeah, or 40s or 30s. Ugh. Oh, it's the worst. The worst. Yeah, that would be terrible. So, what the anyway. Yeah, what are we talking about? Uh, should we open it up? Yeah, we can open this up. By, presented by Factor Fabrication. Uh, yeah, Booney's working on stuff for me. I hung out with him for like a fraction of a minute the other day because uh, he was... Going to get the cage in the Z. And then, of course, because my Z is a big fat pig, I need uh, inch and three quarters bars. And his tube bender does not have inch and three quarter tube benders. So he had to order, oh, a, no. he had to order a special uh, die for that, which, of course, was a four-week lead time. So I dropped, oh, okay. dropped the Z off, turned around and went and picked it up the next week. And then, uh, luckily, I was very, very cognizant of my like social distancing. I've been super really good about that. And uh, right. we were, we were I wore my mask the whole time. I was nowhere near him. Like we were like literally never within six feet of each other the entire ten minutes I was there. But uh, so I, I feel pretty good. About, I feel good about myself now that I'm quarantined that I I didn't put him in any unnecessary danger. But uh, yeah, so the Z's back at my place, and then hopefully be right back at Factor Fab by the end of the month. But yeah, if you need any Factor Fabrication work, factorfabrication.com. Yeah, so I came across this article on the Jalopnik, 
which uh, I don't know that this will really apply to too many of our listeners, but it was kind of interesting. It's uh, the most common things illegal car dealerships try to do. Okay. They're, they're not illegal written, car dealerships. Illegal things car dealerships Sorry, do. illegal <laughs> things that car dealerships will try to do. Used car dealers in specific. Legal car dealers doing illegal things. Gotcha. Yes, I, worded, I, I read that incorrectly. So... Um, I didn't know that was still a thing. I mean, I'm sure it's a thing, but like, you know, it's not like the the crooked car salesman like back in the day, like the 60s. I don't think that's quite. No, I don't think it's quite as, as common as it used to be. I mean, people got you know we got warranties on the internet now. So I mean, Yelp. I mean, people people use that as a weapon. So I mean, right. <laughs> it's kind of hard to hide from your transgressions in this day and age. So, but I mean, it doesn't right. surprise me. I mean, I'm sure there's sketchy shit out there. Yeah, so a lot of these are from Steve Leto, who's a consumer protection attorney. Okay. Uh, so he's you know he's literally a lawyer who helps people with 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 business people doing illegal things. So he probably knows a thing or two about this stuff. So some of these things I had never heard of. Okay. Some of these things were kind of strange. Um, so yeah, but uh, dealers that curbstone. Which means, um, like, if they've got a car that they can't get rid of, they'll advertise it on Craigslist and pretend that it's a private sale. Oh, I have seen that. Which is shady, but maybe not necessarily illegal. I guess, yeah, I've seen it on, like, Facebook Marketplace and stuff where dealers are clearly selling cars. But well, guess, yeah, there's a never... lot of times where dealers are selling cars, but I, these this is literally, like, where Pretend, a guy's pretending yeah. to just be trying to sell, like, his grandma's buick but he's actually a dealer okay yeah i guess I, I, like he may I, even have you meet at you know uh, his house or at a uh, like i know a lot of people these days when they're doing this stuff they'll meet at like a like a walmart like parking a, lot yeah or even there's uh, like ames has some signs up in the parking lot of like the city offices and the police station that are like safe spots for for making uh, online purchase transactions. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, like, I think there's a camera on it and the whole nine yards. So if something goes south, you've got, yeah, you know, something to, to follow up with. So, but, you know, maybe even having you meet there. But the way of really being able to know whether or not it's a dealer or not is uh, if he's claiming or offering uh, that a dealer he knows or something like that is doing paperwork, like, as a favor. Oh, yeah, that's a huge red flag. Yeah. Yep, I have not so, dealt with that. Yeah. Um, dealers that don't pay off trade-ins, like when they have agreed to do so to make a sale, uh, this, he says that he's heard of dealers dragging their feet on and of the occasional dealer that never actually paid it off. The key is to follow up quickly and be wary of dealing with smaller, lesser-known car lots when it comes to a deal like this. So, like oh. – uh, like if you have a loan on a car and they say, oh, I'll, we'll pay it off if you buy the, this one, and then they don't, and you're just stuck with the monthly payments. Oh, that would suck. Yeah. That's a bad situation to be in, too, if you're trading in a car that you owe money on and then – Yeah, because chances are <laughs> – Oh, more money. Yeah. Now yeah. you're double paying on a car and you don't even own it. One of them. I tried to. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I'm not going to say names. So I don't want to give it away. But he was saying that, like, when yeah. he worked at a different shop, 
he had the the guy with the oh fuck one of the one of the dealers there and this is one of the guys that told me don't buy a car here but he said that the they did that they would take they would take a car that the the customer owed on and just lo- roll it into the next loan so they took like a car they were like eight grand underwater on and then rolled it into the next loan so they they owed like right out of the gate like 10 grand more than the car was even worth and then the uh, guy was like bragging about it so he's like yeah don't don't buy from these guys <laughs> that's exactly what happened to me with my tt oh fuck my first one i you know i had only had for a couple like six months yep and I definitely still owed on it and I couldn't pay it off. And I didn't really understand what, what this all meant. And, um, they definitely just rolled that right up into the next car, which put me even farther behind on right. it. Yeah. Cause not, yeah, so not I, I think I got like a, you know, rough numbers. I don't remember. I think I paid, I want to say I paid like 25, $26,000 for that car, which is probably way too much to begin with. It was pretty new um, at the time though. Yeah, it was fairly new. It had super low miles. Um, and you were making damn good but money. still, I think they were only like 40 new. Yeah. Um, and it was it was still, I mean, I suppose it was six or seven years old. So it wasn't super old. It wasn't super new either. Um, but I think I got a loan for like 35, maybe closer to 40 on it. Oh, because shit. I still owed, I mean, I think I paid... 10 or 12 for my first one. I only owned it for a couple of months. Okay. Yeah. I remember, I remember that. Cause so I owed got... most of, you know, I, I owed most of that loan on that car still. So yeah, that's, yeah, it was, it was bad. Yeah. You learned on that one. So you learned the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely learned the hard way on that one, but that's, that's like a real thing. And that was what they, that was kind of, that's kind of what they do when they, uh, they advertise that they'll, like if uh, if you go into a dealership that's advertising, oh, we'll we'll help you get we'll uh, help you get out from underneath a car you're underwater on. Yep, yep. That's what they're doing. They're just rolling that uh, the money that you owe on that car into your new one. So they're not helping you out at all because you end up you're, you're still you're under you're immediately underwater on the next one too. Yes. The yeah. only hope, the only thing that could maybe improve the situation is that maybe that's a better car. Yes. That you so, can have long enough to pay off and not not be completely screwed on it. Because, I mean, you hear those advertised on the radio all the time that, you know, a dollar down or, you know, we'll pay off your loan or, you know, whatever, whatever. Just well, I actually it. went into uh, one of the, like, not a used car dealership, but like a real fucking GM dealership yep. in, uh, in Des Moines because they were advertising that, like, oh, if you're up underwater on your car, we'll help you trade it in and get a new one. Right. And they had an HHRSS on the lot that I was kind of interested in. And, uh, it was kind of at the point where my Audi was like, so unreliable. I just couldn't take it anymore. Yep. And I went in there and I was like, I was like, I knowing what they were going to do. And I, I said, you know, if, if you guys can match my monthly payment I have now, I'll drive this thing home today. Like, let's do this. And they came back at me with like another $150 a month on top of what I was already paying. And I was like, that's, uh, that's, that's doesn't not help me here, guys. Number. That's, a, that's a remarkably larger number. It's 50% again more. Uh, so no, and I'm not, I'm not doing that, but 
I went in there knowing that's what they were going to do to me and still hoping that maybe I could at least come out with a, maybe a slightly more reliable vehicle. So well, shit didn't work though. Yeah. What's next? Uh, dealers selling cars. They don't have titles to don't like buy. They haven't received them yet. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, that's as big a red flag as it gets. Apparently that is illegal in some states, but not all states. But no matter what, you should be wary of doing such. You should never be buying a car without seeing the title first. Among many reasons being that the color of the title is often a flag to let you know if the car is a normal title or a salvage title. Yep. Did you know that? I didn't know it was a color. I knew that there was like a... At the very least, some sort of like marking, whether it be yeah, it says it says salvage on them. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because the two forties says uh, I don't know if it says prior salvage or salvage or you know it's it it says it you know on it. But I guess I don't know. I never. Yeah, I guess maybe, I never paid attention enough to see it was a different color. Maybe other states have uh, have different colors. Yeah. No, I mean it just yeah it just shows a, a designation of never, prior salvage. I've never had a car that's salvaged. So I don't know. I should have read so, this article first. I could have looked. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Uh, dealers that make money vanish, as in you put money down on the car before the paperwork is finalized, and then somehow the numbers on the final deal are such that the down payment got swallowed somewhere. Oh, Nobody should ever change hands before you have the writing in exact numbers on the deal. I was going to say, I was, gonna, I was thinking there for a second how I, it went down for the Rogue because it kind of went that way. Because I had twenty five hundred in cash on me, oh okay, and I handed them twenty five hundred cash, and then the pri- the bill for the car was twenty five hundred less. So like the paperwork said twenty five hundred less because I handed them cash. So like when I went to the went to the courthouse to get registration, that paperwork said twenty five hundred less for for the value of the car and the and the tax purposes, which is probably illegal, but it worked out for me. <laughs> why would they? I wonder why they would do that. I think they're just trying to do me a For solid, you. even though it's that kind seems... of a, <laughs> unless he's just like pocketing the money. I, you know what? I'm I was I was like in my what tw- early twenties. All I saw was, hey, this is going to cost me less money. Uh, yeah, know, in, but in, like in, I wonder if he pocketed that. I bet he did. I'm sure it was like some tax fraud thing. It was a small small dealership. Oh, I thought you bought that from the Nissan dealership. For no, some no, 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 no. It was like one of like one of those dealers that buys them like from the auctions or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. And then sells them. Huh? Because I think I actually think they make their money from the other part of their business, and then the the, the car dealerships like just there. Because like that's yeah, he for sure pocketed that. Money. <laughs> that money did not go on his taxes that year. Well, that well, yeah, well, what's this? What's the statute of limitations on that? Because it's. I bet it's what been. I mean, you didn't say what dealer. No, I didn't. Six years. I mean, if you really wanted to go back, you could probably figure it out from the podcast. But yeah, yeah, whatever. It was, yeah, I mean, it is what it is, I guess. So uh, then he he talks to another uh, lawyer of in a similar situation, but operates out of Maryland. Uh, and this guy hit some of these, like this one, just kind of maybe not even specific to cars, but in general, inflating income and deflating monthly rent on credit applications. Super, super shady. Yeah. That's like extra illegal. (laughs) Uh, And you're not help. I mean, that's not good for anybody. What do you care? Right. Well, 
So that could come back. That's kind right? of the thing. So I remember uh, Josh Vettis used to work like he had for a short period of time. He had a mechanics job at a buy here pay here. I remember he he fucking hated that place, but um, they were like they would like want people to buy the car knowing they wouldn't be able to pay for it because oh, yeah. they you might said- get two or three payments from that guy and then go get it back and sell it to the next sorry sap. And then get, I mean, some of those cars would come back two, three, four times and oh, they yeah. get a couple months worth of payments out of it and shit. By the time they actually sold it off and it never came back again, they probably had paid what or probably had got the money out of what they put into it. And now it's pure profit. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's like, that's like paying the minimum payment on a credit card. I mean, that credit card's making right. money. Like, Hand over yeah. fist. Hand over fist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I I know that's that's probably more common than you realize is that it doesn't bother them if you can't make the payments. That's that's why anybody can walk into any dealership and get a loan. They'll give loans to anybody. It doesn't matter. Yeah, they, they literally I mean, advertise, your credit score doesn't matter. We'll get you a loan. So if you yeah. walk in there and your credit score is like 300 and you get a payment of like 500 for your $1,200 car... Or $12,000 car, whatever. Yeah, if you're paying $500 a month for your $12,000 car, they'll, they'll get their two or three payments out of it because you could afford it until that timeline right runs out, and then they'll just yeah. go get the car again. Yeah. I'll guarantee that, like, that dealerships have no problem paying the repo company to get that car back. doesn't bother. Uh, forging customer signatures on installment sale contracts and lease agreements... Oh, so they, they sign it for you? That's what it says. Some people have had this. I've had them fill that out. Blows, that I, blows my mind. I've had them fill out like all the paperwork for me, and I just signed it. I've yeah, never, that's never pretty signed, normal. They never signed for me. That's pretty normal. Like, I don't even want... I mean, they kind of should. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a courtesy thing at that so point. So that I don't have to wait for it. Yeah. If I'm handing you all this money, you should, you should at least do the paperwork for me. And throw in a... Uh, bed cover and some some running boards and a keychain and a hat and a pen and free soda. I, I want to be wind and dying the entire time I'm there. It's this thing uh, when they forge those documents. It says a smart, I don't know about a smart finance manager, <laughs> but uh, it says a smart finance manager will pay with play with these numbers so the monthly payment remains the same despite the dealership taking additional profit. They will stretch payments out by another six months to allow for additional stolen profits, stuff like that. I mean, I bet it goes unnoticed more often than not. Like if it, if they do it, I bet it goes unnoticed. Who's, I mean, who's looking at the fine print of that? By the time you've been yeah. at the dealership for an hour or two or three or four, you're ready to go. You just sign the paperwork. Okay, I know what my payment is. Out. I mean, you're not you're not sifting through twelve pages of payment contracts. No one does. Jesus, this is so <laughs> sketchy. Yikes. Representing vehicles as having no accidents when they do have serious damage. That's fucked up. I bet that's more common than you'd ever realize. Yeah. Like a Camaro. Yeah, I don't I mean I think 
I, I genuinely do think that when and if Dalton decides to sell that Camaro, he won't represent it as a never wrecked car. No, um, well, it's, but, too, it's too documented. I mean, but there are plenty of people out there who would. I bet probably the mass majority in all reality, like unless it's like super jacked up that you could obviously tell something's not right. Like with the, like the chassis or the unibody or whatever. I mean, right. Yeah. If you replace half of the body panels on it, you're not going to, no one's going to write that into the document and and let people know. Yeah. Yeah. Spot delivery violations and yo-yo sales. I don't know what that is. Uh, when the dealership delivers a car to a consumer, but the financing has not been finalized, most states require the information to be provided to the consumer so they know the deal is not finalized. If this happens to you, first try is to get all of your money back from the dealership. Second, contact an experienced auto fraud attorney to bring a claim against the dealership for the violation of the law. You may be able to recover any economic losses as well as emotional distress, which can be significant depending on the facts. Huh. So, uh, the dealership stealing gap or extended warranty money. The customer pays for gap or an extended warranty gap being the, uh, like gap insurance, which is like, uh, if you owe more on the car than what the car is worth, then that, and it gets totaled, that gap insurance will cover the difference. Uh, the fraud comes when to light when either an accident occurs or the customer wants a gap claim or there is mechanical issue and the customer makes a warranty claim, but then finds out that no premium was ever received. God, I bet that happened oh, way too often. Could you imagine, dude? Because most of that stuff goes through the dealership is what they're saying. So yeah. like that you you agreed to it and the dealership said, we'll set it up and they're billing you for it, but they're not not fi- doing the actual follow They're not through. doing the, the filing. And so you're not getting it. That would suck. Because I mean, how often are you going back on a warranty? I mean, I, I know I did with the with the Silverado, but like that's... That's not common, I would imagine. So yeah, I I would imagine that if you, if they're doing that, statistically speaking, I bet it goes unnoticed eighty percent of the time, ninety percent of the time. I don't know. I think the the extended warranty you're really taking a gamble, but the gap insurance, I bet they get away with most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's 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 what I was I was speaking to mostly. Man, yeah, sketchy. Could you imagine? That'd be that'd be worst nightmare. Like, I'm always really paranoid about like when I, like I, I grant I didn't drive the actual Silverado home because of that uh, um, that uh, coil pack went out. But, right, but like the first couple times I'm driving it, going, man, I just bought this. I just spent so much money on it. If something goes wrong, I really, I, you know, like I don't want to get stuck with the lemon. I don't want to deal with this. Like, it's just, you know, I'm paranoid until it starts to prove to be as reliable as I was expecting it to be. Yeah. Especially, especially when it starts to misfire 20 minutes after you finalize the paperwork. Yeah. You're like, what did I get myself into? Apparently that dealer was, ha- the, the guy that I bought the car from was having a week. So he. Oh, really? Apparently it was just like his week of just having like really weird shit go wrong. So he's so like. He said every car that he had sold that week had come back 
for like weird shit gremlins oh it's so like, the worst because i he, i bought that truck and then the coat pack went out and it's been flawless ever since so i think it was just a fluke thing but then like um i don't know if it was the day before or like hours before he had sold a truck almost identical to dalton's that had a bunch of wiring gremlins, like the radio wouldn't work right, and like it wasn't consi- like it was just giving really weird intermittent like faults and stuff. So like that came back immediately as well. So like, so he had at least a hundred grand worth of vehicles if if you count a couple other ones, come back within a day that he had just sold. So yeah, he's, that he's sucks. Like he actually brought me to the or followed me to the gas station to fill up the, the pickup I, I was borrowing with that really expensive 3500 to take it out for a test drive to prove that it had been fixed before it delivered it back to the, the person that bought it. I think, actually, they special ordered it. Jeez. Yep. But eh, it worked out for me. Hmm. Yeah, I think the the longer story of this is just be careful. Buy yeah. from reputable dealers. Yeah, I'll say if... if if the if the deal seems too good to be true and it's from a dealer that doesn't really look like it's where you want to be buying a car, I mean you can tell. I mean you can if you drive past a lot and you're like, this isn't where I really should be buying cars. Or if you're buying from someone that's you know like, we'll just use my truck as an example. Like I drove six hours to go get it from Billion Automotive, and they have what seven or eight different dealerships. Yeah, Billion's like one of the biggest no, not dealers. Billion. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't go to Billion. I went to Vern, oh. Vern ID. And and that's uh, like in South Dakota. Oh, okay. In, in, sorry. Um, in South Dakota, Vern ID has like... They've got quite a few five, too. They're not a small dealership. No, it's like five or either. six different dealerships in Sioux Falls alone. Then they have yeah. like, you know, the GM dealership in Mitchell and then like a bunch of other ones like Beersford and like, you know, a bunch of other South, you know, South Dakota cities. So, I mean, it's... I felt pretty confident that a, a, a dealership as large as Vernity, if something went wrong, they'll stand behind their six thousand mile warranty, and they did. Jeez! But you know, if I would have got that same truck with the same for the same price for a Jim's Auto Sales, but this you would, might be in a different <laughs> exactly. I don't think it would have gone as smoothly as it did for me. So no. if you know if I get thirty miles down the road and my coil pack goes out, and I call Jim up and say, "Hey, who are you again? Never heard of you in my life." Uh, sorry, man. This is this is this you is drove it off the lot. It's your truck now. No, it's you. It's as is. So I, yeah, it's if if there's a dealership that has any sort of warranty, that's 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 always nice. Like even just, yeah, six thousand miles on a used truck was that was a nice warranty where I could at least feel confident that. You know, that, that first test drive or that first long haul, something goes wrong on the way to Colorado, I can call them up and say, hey, you sold me a lemon. Yeah, luckily I didn't. It was flawless there, though, man. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a wonderful truck. I, I, I really do. I, lo- I love my car. I've been... All the way there and back. Not a single lick of trouble. Nope. Nope, it's been good. But yeah, so, I know. I know I, I, but then, it, like, with that the Rogue, it, I had it, what... 10,000 miles less than that. Maybe before that maybe. transmission gave out on I me. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the Equinox was gone before we started the podcast. Uh, and, the, and the Equinox was a time bomb to get me 
to my next vehicle. So I had the RAV, and I had that from when I was 16 until I was 26. I put 170,000 miles on it. that old? Maybe I was 24. I can't remember. Semantics. But yeah, so like I bought it with 150,000 miles because my dad bought it new, put a shitload of miles on it for work. I bought it when I was 16. Drove it all the way through high school and college, put 170,000 miles on it, or was it more? It had 317,000 miles when I sold it to Copart. (laughs) So really weird. I still... I'm not convinced that my parents didn't lie to me and say, no, no, the check cleared. I don't know. Some dude said he'd buy it for Copart and they offered me 2,500 bucks for it. And I was like, it was, it was worth 2,500. So, okay, great. Come get it. They wrote me a check and picked it up and left. Apparently, uh, my parents told me the check cleared. So that's a, but then my dad let me take the Equinox because he had been using that for work, but it was like a prior salvage um, and that was that engine that grenaded itself and it was not, it didn't sound great. It wasn't super reliable for him. And I had it for like six months and then they, yeah, then the, that engine grenaded itself. And then I turned around and bought the rogue. Yeah. I'd, I had that, what, maybe a year, not even. And I'd say if it was a year, it was just, yeah, I didn't have that one very long either, but yeah, I didn't, I did not put a lot of miles on that transmission before it went kaput. So, yeah, but the avalanche is, I guess I wouldn't say the Avalanche was good to me because it was a lot of work, but. I mean, it was fine too, though. It wasn't, it, I mean, I, I suppose the, the I would, lifter thing was kind of. The lifter thing kind of sucked, but I. Dramatic. Yeah. And I mean, I, I fixed it, but that could have been a death sentence had I not, you know, tore the engine apart myself. And, but I also kind of using it in a way that wasn't really intended to. It's not really a drag a car across the country vehicle. And I did that a lot. So, but anyways, yeah. Hopefully, I got the the truck of all of my needs for a while, anyway. Yeah. So you buy that stacker rig because you got to haul two cars to every event, or I sell one of them. Yeah, I still can't believe you're gonna maybe pull the trigger on that, Robbie. Write the check and it's gone. I'm not joking. I want an enclosed trailer. I get it. <laughs> I do, but I'm just not sure that it's what you're gonna want. Two years from now. No, I've already, I've, I've accepted it. I've, I've found myself shopping around for the next like long haul build. Like that's not a track car specific. That's more like, you know, buy it. A street car. Yeah. A street car. Streetable track car. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, looking at leases like, oh man, I could get one of these like, you know, wrecked and then fix it over time and have like, then get that, you know, one of those dream cars off my bucket list. So, you know, I've, I've kind of. I'm ready to move on, I think. So, I mean, if someone shows up with, with the right amount of money and takes the truck and trailer, or the the car and trailer, that yeah, I don't think I'll think twice about it. I'll, I might regret it at times, but I'm, I'm ready to move on. If you don't buy a kit car next, I'm going to be disappointed. That's also on the list. Yeah. Someday. Maybe if I decide... It's race- just good quality content, Robbie. I know. But if, maybe, if I decide that racing sucks and I hate it, which I, I hope not the case... Then I'll for sure buy a kit car. Just sell everything. Kit I, car. <laughs> I feel like that's not going to be the case. But no, I'm, I'm I'm pretty confident it won't be. It's pretty pretty unlikely to me. Yep. Someday. I know I always said, so. That was kind of like my retirement plan was that I'd always be, you know, I'd retire, hopefully at a, a relatively early age, so I can just tinker on cars all day every day. 
Yeah. That's the dream. Hopefully in a nice yeah. warm climate because I fucking hate it here. It's cold. Actually, I love it here during the summer. I think the reality, what you're going to find is the reality my dad is dealing with right now, which is that he has the money to retire if it weren't for health insurance. I Yeah. I yeah, not to get like political or anything, but I just assume that yeah. I'm not going to have any sort of like social security or help or anything. <laughs> so I just assume I'm going to work until I, I have enough. That, I think it's best that you assume that it's all going to be gone and that if it isn't, it's a pleasant surprise. Yep. Nope. I have been very aggressive with my retirement plan, which is why I always complain about not having money. It's because I take a very large chunk of my paycheck and go straight to 401k every month. Every page, every page. There was a larger chunk of mine that did. Nope. It's not a, it's not an insignificant amount, but it's not as big as I wish it was. Nope. Nope. It's Collins was going to match a certain point, and then they allow you to go to a certain number. I am maxed out on both. It's like I, I can budget for whatever the paycheck is. I need to think about my future, so I've been very, very conscious of that. I put in enough to meet the minimum for what the company I work for will match. Which is which, which is I great. Think, which I think you should try to do no matter what. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wherever you are in your life, because otherwise you're just throwing away free money. Like and, literally. And, and the sooner you can do it, the better. So like yeah, if you and some I remember I was at Bobcat, like the like we're getting way off track, but that's okay. That's fine. This is This is life. This is good content. Some, yeah. so somebody probably needs to hear this. There are some younger listeners that maybe need to hear this from people who aren't <laughs> their parents, you yes. know? <laughs> yes. I remember sitting at Bobcat as an intern and one of the engineering techs, it was, it was cool because Bobcat had techs. So like they had two techs that were basically our shop guys. We could just be like, hey, I need this. And I hand them a drawing and they just make it. It was so cool. I wish we had that. But um, one of the techs was near retirement age, and uh, I remember he forwarded me an email that showed like the trajectory of like if you started at, if you started putting I think it was like five grand a year away at twenty five, and like and like and you didn't really have to like add a bunch of money to it, but it was it was at least five grand a year every year from when you were twenty five to sixty five, and it just kind of showed the compound interest over time. I know, like you know, I can't remember what the number was back in, you know, 2012, but like you could put five thousand a year very conservatively and and walk away with a million in your 401k as at 65 or whatever it was, and I, that email stuck with me forever. So once I got a real job and started having a 401k, I was like, all of it, the max number, I want it. So like I've been I, so that stuck with me, and I'm hoping that uh, anyone listening that's not seriously considering about their retirement, you should rethink that. You won't. I wish I would have done it sooner. Yep. You won't regret it. So I didn't start putting money away until I was probably 28 or 29. And I wish I would have been. I mean, I, I was not in a good place in, <laughs> earlier in my life. I'm still not in the best place. But uh, yeah, I, sh- I should have been doing it sooner. Yep. Now, so. if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, Jess gets a fat fucking paycheck. But if I if I live to sixty five, I'll get a big paycheck. <laughs> I just went through like talking to my my insurance lady about my life insurance because she was, I have a term and she's trying to get me to switch it to whole, and I didn't because it's very expensive. Yep i i have I have what my company offers. 
And then I have a few different things I've added to it. Like nothing crazy, but yeah, it's yeah. It wouldn't be I have a, enough to pay. I have enough to pay off my debts, buy yep. the house and make sure that Logan could go to college pretty easily. I don't have that you know? much. I don't. I have. And, uh, and, um, when I, I'll be 61 when that runs out. And I figure if I haven't paid off my house by then, (laughs) uh, that I got bigger problems on my hands. And like, I just don't see why I need a whole life term or a whole life instead of a term life. You know, like I don't really care if, uh, if I, have health insurance or if I have life insurance to pay out if I die when I'm 80. Yeah. You know, by then it, things will be a little bit smoother. I will hope <laughs> you probably have it figured out by then. I hope <laughs> so. Yeah. I just, I figured this is good enough. So, yeah, but yeah. it's like $30 a month for what I have now. And to get the same amount of money as a whole life is $340 a month. Oh boy. And I was like, you no. can tell me that with a straight face and think I'm <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's sign let's, me let's, up. Yeah, let's do that. But in her effort to try and talk me into it, she did find me a hundred dollars worth of savings a month. Well, that's good. So I wasn't mad about that. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, that's nice. It turns out I had forgot that I was paying on the focus. Oh shit. Yeah. So yeah. that wasn't all of it, but it that was a chunk of it. So Oh, back to uh, um, dealership fraud right before we finish this. Um, yeah. I re- I tried to register the Z. You remember? I tried to do that? No, I registered okay. the truck. And apparently they wouldn't let me register it because Illinois requires both signatures if two people are on the title. And I only had I only had Josh's signature. Oh. And I haven't got a hold of them to get the second signature. And now it's to the point where I was like, well, this car's never going on the street again. So now I'm not even going to bother. So I saved myself like $350 by yeah. not forging a signature that day, which is good. So I didn't I didn't um, do, what would that be, fraud, I guess. I, I didn't commit fraud, and, and then I also saved money. So win-win. <laughs> it's good that you didn't commit <laughs> fraud at least. So, but yeah, so if, if, if I ever do need to either sell the car or do something with the title paperwork stuff, I might have to get a hold of Josh and say, hey – what are the chances I can mail this to you and get that signature? Yeah. It's nice to know when I, you know, when you buy it from somebody, you know, you don't have to really worry about it. Yeah. I, I had a weird one with that RX seven that I owned for a short period of time in, in college. Yep. Uh, I sold it to somebody and, um, he sat on it for like, I don't know, like five or six years. Yep. And then out of the blue, he got a hold of me through I sold it I sold it to somebody who was a friend of a coworker from Target when I was in college. Yeah. Like somebody I didn't really know at all in any way, shape, or form. And we never talked before or after the transaction. And then all of a sudden my phone's exploding one day by the with this kid because he sold it to some dude from Ohio. <laughs> and uh I think it was Ohio. And I think like apparently in Ohio wherever whatever state he was from requires a um a notary signature oh shit and that kid never transferred it into his name for six years and then tried to turn around and sell it 
Yeah. And so then, and this dude from whatever state it was, I want to say it was Ohio, drives all the way down here on a fucking Sunday. Oh my gosh. And then thought that it was my responsibility to find him a notary and to drive from my place in Ames up to Sioux City so that I could sign this title over to him. And I was like, first of all, I haven't owned this car in years. I don't know who the kid who owns it is. Yeah, so I don't your name know would how be dated you got on my it. phone number. Uh, and secondly, uh, it's a Sunday. Yeah. Where are you going to find a notary on a Sunday? The like, only place I would think to look would be UPS, but I wouldn't hold my breath. I was like, sorry, dude, but uh, maybe you should have thought this through a little more before you drove this far to buy a car. That's crazy. I don't know what to tell you, man. So uh, I eventually stopped answering my phone. And if I remember, I got like like 40 missed calls through that day. Jeez. We were at the skate park. I remember I, I, being with, I remember with you at the park when that happened. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I had that car in six, seven years. I mean, it's. Oh, years. <laughs> like I barely even remembered. And I. Yeah. yeah I want it very I, long. No, I never. I never drove it really. So. God, that's crazy. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah, I so hope I don't have to just, deal, deal with any of that Just crap. Uh, make sure you, you know, cross your I's and dot your T's Yep. when you're buying stuff. Even if it is, uh, you know, uh, not through a dealership. So, but anyway, should we move on? Yeah, this uh, this uh, life advice is brought to you by <laughs> Fact Fabrication. Factfabrication.com if you need your handrails. Uh, stairs, skate ramps, you know, whatever. He'll make it. Roll bars. Basically, if you have an idea and you can make it out of wood or metal, he can make it happen. Factfabrication.com. Uh, so I fed my cat a bunch of catnip before this started. Is it? Right I, I noticed you. I noticed you keep looking away, like you're watching well, something. So apparently, Katie needed something. Uh, I'm assuming like pajamas for my kid because I'm, I'm in my kid's room. Right? Yes, I remember. So she like <laughs> came in here and did something, and then like the dog was right here, and I was like, "No, you stay out. You stay down." <laughs> right now, my cat's sitting on the other side of the door, just meowing its head off. <laughs> and I, I, I can't hear it, but I know. High. Yeah, he's having a time of his life, man. And I assume that he's just going, bro. This carpet bro, feels amazing. <laughs> I'm so high right now. We could That's all fun. wish to feel that good. I've never, I, fe- I've never felt that good ever. When I die, <laughs> I want to come back as a cat, as a cat of the Nielsen family. Just catnip all day. It doesn't get better than being the a cat of one of my family members. So, I guess why do you, why do you, why do you say that? Because they're they're the most spoiled, rotten, lazy, fat, uh, weighted on hand and foot animals that anyone could possibly ever like. You could not live a more comfortable life. So my dogs are pretty than damn being close. the cat of one of my family members. <laughs> yeah, so my dogs are close. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. But like <laughs> my cats don't have to go in a kennel ever or anything like that. No, it literally breaks Jess's heart. Like we'll we I I if it came down to it, if we couldn't board like board them with family or friends, we would skip a vacation if it meant having to board them for more than a day. 
we found a place here in town that's just like a lady who oh. just lets the dogs run around her house with her dogs. Yeah, that'd be good. And she's cheap. Yeah. Yeah, and, that'd be uh, good. If you need a reference, hit me up. I'll keep that in mind. No, we we've tried it before. Like we've got there was one place here that was like real close, like like painfully close and convenient, and it was like super sketchy. And then the like, yeah, then Kyle was like super like he went and hid for like a week afterwards. And then they yeah, both that's got, what I'm worried. About. That's what I was worried about with 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 uh, our cocker spaniel. Yeah, is because he's so no, uh, he, he hate, he withdrawn to begin with. Yep. No, and I assume that. If not both dogs, at least the pit bull assumes that we're leaving him to never come back because that's what's happened to him like his whole life. So right. it breaks Justice's heart, so we can't do it. And then they both got kennel cough, so we're not we're not doing that anymore. Fuck that. Now, if you need a place, hit me up. Okay. Yeah, there's a there's a couple places I would consider, but in all reality, if 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 we can't drop them off at her parents or my parents, or have somebody come let them out from our house, we just we'll skip the vacation. It's not worth it. Yeah. Oh well. So, let's talk about more car stuff, Robbie. We've I've done what? some car thing as much car things as I could. Is this a car uh, podcast? I have, I have a uh, a car company that I would like to do a little bit of shit talking about. Oh. Uh, I that. have some some cool cars I got to check out in lieu of a thing that I wanted to do that they wouldn't let me do. Okay. Uh, let's do that. Yeah. Where do we want? Where do you want to start, man? Uh, so I'm going to start with something that I didn't send you any pictures for. Okay. Uh, so a couple weekends ago, uh, was the Mecham auction in Kansas city. They did that. Uh, well, okay. So let me preface. We get there, right? Okay. <laughs> so that was supposed to be a couple weekends ago. Yes. Uh, I went to that last year. Um, and it was, it was reasonably good time. It was better than not. You know, this is better than sitting at home, not doing anything. I do remember so, you going. Yeah. And uh, it was cool. Uh, so we were going to go back. But I remember um, last year when we were there, my dad said something to me about like, because we were looking, because it's a, it's a televised event, right? Yes. So um, at one corner of this huge convention center place, um, there was a full-sized like semi-rig uh, that was where all of the the camera equipment operators and stuff like that were working out of. Right. And we were kind of talking about like, Oh man, you know, like that's the dream, right? Like that'd be, that'd be dope. Right. And uh, my dad's like, I wonder if they do press passes here. And I was like, I never even thought of that. And as we're walking around, I was looking it up on their website and they do. Heck yeah, they do. So I was like, this year came around. And I was like, "Yeah, let's do this because it's like thirty bucks a person to get in." Oh, that's way too much. Which is kind of too it's, much. Kind of high for an yeah, auction. It, it's kind of too, but I think that they do that on purpose to keep the riffraff out. Well, because you don't want too many people who aren't there bidding. Or it just gets messy. Yeah, and you don't want to deal with like registration and shit, like right. you know, or applying to let let you in. right. <clears throat> So it was 30 bucks just to get in the door. So I was like, well, maybe I could get press passes and we can get in there for free. That'll be cool. So I applied for press and they shut me down. Damn it. It's the first time we've been shut down. That's not true. Uh, professional bull riding never got back to me. <laughs> <laughs> I tried I tried to get press passes for PBR when they were in town. 
They never. Got, I didn't know that. That's funny. They never got back to me. There's there's okay, some well, reason why I, I didn't corrected. go anyways, but no. And uh, I actually, stand corrected. But yeah, that that is probably like one of the only times we've ever really been shut down because I remember they they responded. They did not get back to me. They, they got they back. They said turned no. me down. Oh, right. Then that's the first and only true denial that we've gotten. I've gotten cold yes. shouldered, but yeah. Yes, but no, they didn't just like not answer me. They replied to my email and told us, told me that they did not, or that we do not meet the requirements for them uh, to consider us a legitimate media outlet. They use those words? Um, essentially, yes. This is a legitimate media podcast. We're big. We're, we deleted the email. We're big in New Zealand. I think the number 22 podcast in New Zealand for automotive. Just saying. I think we were way higher than that in New Zealand. We were that here in the United States no, no, or we, something. We like were that. Se- we were, we're we're number 74 in the United States. Oh, damn it. I'm still not mad about that. No, that's pretty freaking impressive. Like top 100 is pretty not bad. When there's like 30,000 of them, yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has an automotive podcast. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, I was, I was kind of bummed out about that. I was really like, this is lame. Yeah. For how, I guess. So yeah. Fuck you, Meekum. We got, we got so used to getting told yes, that it's really. I know. So- right. Cause everyone was like, sure. Whatever. Like to be honest, like, and to be real about it, like what's, uh, what's the harm within reason with saying yes. Yeah. Unless you have like a bunch of people coming in. And like, then you kind of have to like start, you know, whittling it down. So like, like, like for PRI, for example, like how many, how many, how many people are applying for press access to Kansas City Meekum? It can't be that many. I bet you I was the only one that wasn't like a regular, uh, does the circuit media guy. Probably. Well, like that's I've always kind of felt that way about PRI is that I've always been surprised that we've been. Because PRI gets a lot of people and a lot of like you know online people, websites, magazines. Yeah, but I think they just podcast. So yeah, I was I was expecting PRI to say from for media people that they look at us and go, eh, no. But like Meekum, I kind of think the same thing. It's like, well, what do they care? Yeah, like the same with good guys here in Des Moines. Right. Where they get one other, who cares? Yeah, Yeah, it's not a big deal. Like it's. You know, when you're selling 20,000 tickets, does it hurt to sell two or to give two away? No. Especially no. for someone that's going to talk about it. Right. Well, I remember uh, through the show, like it was like a, a listener and a, now I'd have to go back and double check, figure out who it was exactly. But like they, that I kind of mentioned the fact that I wanted to watch Lamborghini Super Trofeo at Road America. And like, oh, the, yeah? like that next week, they're like, they forwarded me in a Facebook message with the media director and like some other guy, and we're like, "Hey, he wanted to do this. What do you, what can you do to get him a pass?" And I was like, "I wasn't ready for this. I have nothing prepared." And they were like, "Yeah, man, that's all." You know, like they were like super on board. Of course, you know this COVID hit, but they're like, right? And this was like way back in like I think it was like January or something, like way early in the year. Like the schedule had barely been out yet, and it was just like, "Yeah, this this would be great to go to." And like, just got rolled out in front of me, like, "Oh, well, I guess I'm going to do this." And then, yeah, then of course it didn't, but like, yeah, I mean, they were like super receptive to us and our silly little show. So like that, yeah, if that could happen again, I'd be, I'd be pumped. I I would clear my schedule to go watch Lamborghini Super Trofeos. Hell yeah. That'd be sweet. At Road America? Fuck yeah. That'd be awesome. I need to go to Road America this year. 
2021. That's the only track I've bought on iRacing. It's the only one. Like I, it's I, cool. I actually really don't like driving it that much. Uh, on I have not. Sims. I have not got a feel for it on the sim yet. But I also it's have, not that much fun on a sim. I've also opinion. only have tried it on Spec Racer Fords because that's what the that's what it was that week. Um, so I was trying to get good at it, and uh, I didn't. For the record, I never got good at it with that car. And I've then I've just kind of done regular online other races, and I didn't go back to relearn that track yet. I really. I, I greatly prefer, we've talked about this a little bit, but I greatly prefer um, tight technical tracks over like high speed, long straightaway yep, I don't. tracks, which is what Road America is. Yeah, I'm not, so, a big, like, I'm, I'm not that into Road America. I'm not a big but, fan of the long, drawn out straights. Like my least favorite track to drive, again, I'm, you know, it's just like online shit, but absolutely right. is Lamar. I can't, like, it's, I don't like it. I think it's no, it's not that much fun to me. No, it's a super awful racing track, in my opinion. Honestly, yeah, I don't disagree. I've never been there. Obviously, I'm I'm just comparing it to wanting to do endurance racing online with some friends. So I practice. Here, you you want me to take a little (laughs) heat off of you? I I fucking hate driving the Nurburgring. I haven't done. I really have not done much on the Nurburgring. If I were to go, if I were to be like in a position where I could go and drive there. I would way, way, way rather drive the Grand Prix circuit because I love the Grand Prix circuit. Yeah. I don't blame you. So I have, I have noticed. What do you do? Yeah, I have noticed that the more that I've done iRacing and gotten in the last couple of years, where I've gotten to drive a lot more different tracks. That I really dislike short tracks. Like there's a few like on iRacing where it's like a one minute lap. And it just seems like you just, it just it's not long enough. And like so, if someone has a good feel for the track, they're just going to run away from it, and you don't really get an opportunity to do anything. So I like I like the longer tracks. For some, you know, from what I've been been doing. Yeah. So and back away anyway, from this tangent. Yeah. Uh, Mecham, <laughs> what they ended up doing, what it, what Meekum ended up doing, they announced a few days before the. Uh, the event was that they were only going to allow you in there if you were a registered bidder or seller. Yeah, in twenty twenty, I can't really blame them. Yeah, it made sense. I can't. It absolutely blame made sense. And my dad and I decided that it wasn't worth buying hundred and fifty dollar bidder registrations, and that it was too late for him to register a car to sell. So we just weren't going. Yeah, I don't blame you. I, I don't get I don't. so. <clears throat> yeah, but what'd you do instead? So instead, uh, so my dad has just recently, or, you know, sort of recently, we talked about this moving, moved uh, to Missouri, about an hour north of Kansas City, uh, and um, starting to get to know people around there. And I guess there's a, there's this little town, um, just a little ways north of the town he actually lives in, uh, that has a part store in it with a guy that my dad has kind of clicked with because my dad, uh, he purchases enough car parts that he needs a, a, like a parts guy. You know, he, he can't just like go into O'Reilly's and talk to whatever random kid is standing behind the counter that day. My dad needs a parts guy. Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I get it, which I totally understand. It's so much easier to deal with. Um, but so he found his parts guy. And so he's going to this guy pretty regularly. Well, there happens to be like an older, like hardware store. I think it's just like a family owned one. I don't think it's like an ACE or anything. Like a hardware that Hank. Kind of, 
thing. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what it is. I haven't seen the story yet. But my dad said when you walk in there, it's like stepping back 50 years in time. Oh, that's the best. Those are the best right? hardware like, stores. Like the floors creak when you walk in and everything just looks old. And like the dude that greets you is 70 years old. It's been and, his shop for uh, 60 years. Right. He's been running that place since he was old enough to walk, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, he was just like, and my dad went in there and like, I think the guy kind of caught him just kind of uh, staring around in wonderment almost. And the guy's like, uh, you know, can I, can I help you or whatever? And, and I guess they, one thing led to another, they were talking about the place and it turns out that, uh, this guy is a car guy. And, uh, so my dad kind of talks to him about, Oh, you know, what do you have? And uh, he said, well, I'm kind of into, um, kind of obscure cars and my dad's like well uh i'm a pontiac and an international guy so i'm kind of an obscure guy myself and uh he said no my stuff's a little more obscure than that he is into hudson's and packards nice uh and so we went to his house and we visited with him for a little while um to see his Hudson and his Packard that he has at his house. So um, the Hudson, uh, we'll go over that one real quick. Um, Is that the wooden one? No, that's the Packard. That's the Packard. Okay. Yes. Working on it. The wooden one is the Packard. So the other one, which is a a Commodore, uh, which I think is just a slightly larger version of the Hudson Hornet, Okay. Which is what Doc Hudson from Cars is based on. Um, Do you not send me a picture of that? You must not have. Anyways. I don't know that I... So his garage was kind of tight quartered, and it was really hard to take pictures of anything in there. All right. Well, here's a picture of a Packard. <laughs> so I think there's a picture of the engine. Let me... I'm yeah, yeah. I got the that. pictures I sent you. Yep. I got the engine. Here so that I can actually go through these. Uh, so... Um, the engine is, is kind of it's, it's it's unique. Both of these cars have just like such archaic and old engine styles, and we're also used to like seeing small block Chevys and LSs and and yep. newer dual overhead cam modern engine designs. It's so crazy to see like how they built old cars, and like this this car. It only had like 30,000 miles on it. Uh, it was perfect from head to toe. So it, it was meant. as original as he could possibly build it. Uh, it was still like the exposed um, spark plug wires. Like there's no caps over the tops of the spark plugs. There's no rubber boots. Yep. Like it's that original. And like all the, like the, like the coolant um, manifold is, not like a cast piece. It's like it's like flat and then just bolted in with like Yeah. Like a hundred bolts. It, yeah. It's super Isn't that crazy? It's yeah, it's it's just a totally different design. And like the you know, the battery still has the big flat strap on it. It's not wires, it's just that big like braided strap. Like a lawnmower would have or a tractor now. Yeah. Yeah. And like um the interior was minty fresh dude 
And he's like, yeah, that's the original tier. And I was like, no, no way. Like the original, I think it was a 40. I want to say that's the crazy. original interior, every piece on it. And wow. dude, it, it looked like it was brand new. It looked like no one had ever sat in it ever. That's crazy. How, do you, how, do, you, so how do you get perfect. it that good? I don't know. He bought it from a dentist. He's second owner. Huh. I'll be damned. Which is kind of cool in of itself. <laughs> oh, excuse me. But anyway, the Packard was the one that was really something special. I did my best to get a picture of it. Uh, like I said, it was really tight quarters in there. Um, so it was really, and it's it's a huge car. Yeah, it's massive. So it was really hard to get back away from it to get a good picture. And I, when I was taking that picture, I'm thinking in my head, like, Robbie's going to fucking bitch about this. Well, then, like but, the, then the picture of the interior, your camera focused on the window. So yeah, it's, got a, was, it's was, got, it's got a picture of the car behind well, it real clear. And I had, yeah. Yeah. He's got a, like a newer Lexus. Yep. And like, uh, I had to shoo my kid away and I had to like stand off to the side and hold the camera out away from me so that the reflection wasn't just me and my kid. No, it's just, no, but, it's just a reflection of the car. You actually can't re- you can't really see the interior. Yeah. It's really hard to see, but so um, if anyone asks is like really, this is really artistic because the focus of this picture is actually the Buick. He doesn't care about the Packard. <laughs> so I think if I heard him correctly, this is one of two. Oh. Wow. Yeah, so Woody Packard's kind of a big deal. This is a 39. Uh, if I remember right, this was the straight six. They had a straight eight, and they had a V12. Wait, wait. Uh, there's only two cars, but there's three engines? Well, uh, um, Packards. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I think this is one of two Woodies that was made in 1939. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but Packards, there there are more than two Packards, but this was one of two Woodies. I'm tracking now. I'm on the same page. Yes. Um, there was the six, the inline six, which is what this one had, the inline eight, and I think a V12. I know there was a 12-cylinder. I'm pretty sure it was a V. Neat. I can't imagine it being <laughs> a straight 12. A straight 12. <laughs> but he did say that the only different or that one of the major differences from car to car uh, when they had different engines, like so he said from the window windshield back, the cars are all the same. Yep. Uh, but the front ends were longer to accommodate the different engines, which would make sense. So I don't know. Maybe it is an inline 12. That'd be cool. That'd be absolutely out of control and ridiculous. <laughs> It'd be so long. It'd be so dope, though. Yeah. But um, this car has been restored. Okay. Uh, this is not an all-original car. Uh, he He's fourth, fifth, sixth owner, something like that. He thinks that this car was actually owned by the guy that owned Packard at one point. Oh, neat. Which is kind of neat. Uh, but this car, so like... Uh, the Antique Automobile Club of America, which is a lot of it's the AACA. It's kind of like um, <clears throat> I don't know how to. It's very it's a very prestigious group, right? Like these are old guys that gather around and talk about their old cars. Yes, uh, and like they sound incredibly boring, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, if that's what you're into, that's what you're into. This car uh, is a grand national winner. Oh, wow. Um, 
yeah, so it's, I mean, it's very well pedigreed. Um, and he, he talked like at great length about all the things he had to do to, to go through, to restore the car. Um, the, the wood rebuild he had outsourced, um, and the guy took like two years to do it or something. Oh like my that. gosh. Yeah. Um, it's probably like a very specific wood with a specific grain. Well, and like, so if you look at the picture of the car the, as the best picture I could get of it, yep. um, you can see there's like, uh, over the rear fender, there's a curved piece of wood. Yep. That is, it. uh, stacks of very thin wood stacked on top of each other and then compressed and glued together and then bent to follow that contour. Okay. And that's all hand laid, handmade. And like the doors aren't flat panels. They kind of bow, the car kind of bows out from the windshield and then back in again to the back. Like it's, it's not a straight line. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. The whole thing kind of bows out and back in again. Yeah, It's got a curve to it. Um, Yeah. So it's not just like flat uh, pieces of wood. And like the window frames are wood, the door is all wood. The whole thing is wood. It's wild, dude. Like it's nothing like it's it's like nothing I've ever seen before. That would take so much time and be so expensive. Can you imagine? But, but my god, it'd be it'd be so like if it's done correctly, it'd be so beautiful. It's done flawlessly. Perfectly. Oh my god, flawlessly. Yeah, there's a reason it took two years. Not because he took his time and just twiddled his thumbs, but because it yeah. literally took two years to get it right. Yeah. So and so in the interior, uh, it's got it's it's a three row car because oh. this is a wagon. Yeah. Maybe it was one of two Woody wagons. Maybe that's what it was. I don't remember. Yeah. It's one of two of its whatever it is, but it's a three row seats and uh, the middle row. Uh, is like two thirds of the seat so that there's room to get back. Like, uh, kind of like the suburbans, the older suburbans yep, were yep. that way. Like, but this was like from the 30, this is a 39. They'd already thought of that. And he said that those seats are interchangeable. Oh, okay. That's kind of nice. <laughs> they can be removed. They can be taken out and it'll be, you know, flat all the way to the back, just like a, like a minivan. Convenient. And then if you see the picture, uh, if you if you look hard enough at the picture of the interior, you can see that's the spare tire built into the back of the front seat. And it's all of like two inches wide. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's probably like, not much of a tire, but it's it has a leather cover on it. Yes. And like oh, and the and the door panels on the inside are all wood, too. They're all wood, too. Yeah. And I commend him for having a fire extinguisher in his vehicle. Because you do not. So this car doesn't garden. see street miles. Probably a good idea. It gets towed to events, uh, and then it just gets driven from where he parks it to, or from where he parks the trailer to where he parks the car and back again. Uh, it doesn't get driven at all. Wow. So uh, the the Hudson was in the same boat. Yeah, when you got something that's that rare and that restored, you it's not worth it. I mean, it's yeah, definitely not mine my cup of tea, but yeah, I, I totally get it. Yeah. So he's also, he is restoring uh, a 62 Jaguar E type roadster. Yes. That's, that's awesome. what he's in the process of restoring right now. Um, but it was, none of it was there except the engine, which was covered and not complete. 
Huh. I'll be damned. So you're getting pictures of that. But uh, um, he's owned that since like the 80s. Oh, wow. And he said that for a long time, the the chassis of that car was suspended to the ceiling above his Packard. Weird. Just like hanging on until he decides to finish it? Or? Like hanging up there with bolt or like off a, he said it was hanging off a of bike hooks. Huh. I'll be damned. Just hanging on the ceiling. Yeah. Just waiting for its time. I don't know. Uh, I guess uh, back in the day when he bought that, the roadsters were more valuable than the coops. I don't know if that's still the case now, but I don't know. Uh, it is my opinion that a that like that generation of E type coupe is probably the best looking car ever made. Yes, yeah, that's I, that, I think that's they're stunning. As far as I'm concerned, that's like the pinnacle of design because like all of my favorite cars have that very similar design. I love boxy cars, and there is not a boxy thing about that car, and I think it's one of, if not the most gorgeous car ever made. And what's really weird about that is that my dad thinks the same thing. Yes, it's universally loved, and it should be. Yeah. It is a beautiful car. He has a 40 Packard as well, so the guy's got... Guy's got some pretty crazy things. Yeah, he does. Uh, and he's owned some pretty crazy things in his time, too, because this isn't the first Packard he's owned. And, uh, yeah. Well, nice. So, it's, it's just kind of crazy because, like, this is a town of 1,500 people. Yeah, it's a small town. Maybe less, probably less. Like, just a tiny little podunk town in the middle of nowhere. Like, I don't even know if they have a grocery store. They have like a gas station, a parts store, and a hardware store, you know. And uh, there's probably a gas, there's there's probably like a tiny little grocery store there. But I mean, it's just this tiny little town. And here is this like immaculate, world class restoration Studebaker, or sorry, Packard. Packard, yeah, yeah. That could be like like on the lawn at Pebble Beach. Yeah, I would imagine, even if he did drive it around, no one in that town would even realize its significance or value. Yeah. So it was just really cool. I was really taken aback by seeing it. It was really cool um, to get the chance to be that close to something like that, something so rare. I Maybe this is kind of terrible of me, but in general, I find pre-war cars to be relatively uninteresting. I'm right there with you. I mean... Like more often than not, a car that old, you never see it driven. It's just like a, a show car piece, and I, I kind of lose interest in that right away. Just that's not really my thing. Yeah, but I, I can always appreciate, you know, what it is. Even yeah, if I'm not, even it's, if it's still not really neat to see it. Right. You know, like I would love to get an opportunity to get that close to like a Duesenberg or something like that someday. You know, Volo um, in Chicago. There's like a whole room of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, uh, but yeah, it was just, uh, it was really cool. The guy is, he is a level of meticulate and, and, uh, organized that I cannot even begin <laughs> to fathom. Yeah. I would, I would imagine that he, uh, I, I guarantee he looks at that car. Everything has its place. Nothing is, is where it shouldn't be. Uh, you know, there's, there's dozens of clear totes 
like on shelves and stuff like that in his garage and everything inside of those totes is in folders and it's all labeled <laughs> and it's all perfect and everything is just so. And I just can't imagine being at that level. No. How much anxiety did you have as your child ran through this guy's shop? Uh, <laughs> I've... <laughs> I think I was more worried about it than he was, honestly. That's good. And, I, and, and, your, and your your kid's been around. I mean, he doesn't. Yeah, he, he's he knows not, not to touch cars that aren't his and stuff like that. Yeah, he's, and, he's got you know, pretty good I, etiquette for a, a kid at a car show, which is yeah. not common. Yeah. But um, still, like, he was real good to begin with. But then the longer we were there, the more... Um, Restless. More rambunctious. He got more restless. He got. Yeah. Eventually it was just like, well, you know, this is awesome. And I feel like I could probably stand here and talk to you all day long, but I'm going to get my kid out of here before something bad happens. Yeah. Before he kicks a football halfway across the shop and drops the garage door hanger on it. (laughs) Yeah. So let's, uh, I mean, I really appreciate the time, but I got to run. So. But yeah, it was super cool. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun to see that. So God, I, I, I haven't done that. Like it's been so long. I mean, this has been such a weird year that like I haven't really just like no car shows, no cars and coffee, no like yeah, random, no, right. no like random meeting of people where you're just like you know you like check out this guy's car and you stop and bullshit with him. I haven't done that in in so long. Yeah, same. Yeah, it's it's just it's just weird that you know like, I don't even think about it until like right now you mentioned like you know what I haven't. I haven't shot the shit in like a random person's shop in forever. For some reason, there's nothing I enjoy more than talking to like really old car guys. Oh yeah. The stories and like, they're just the coolest dudes. And yeah. So like, they're like, they're like a pot bottle all shook up. They're like ready to just tell you like, Oh man, this one time. And then like, it just, you know, the stories just go, man. And it's super interesting. Yeah. So, uh and then uh i wasn't even really planning on talking about this in this with or these things together but then we ended up not doing a show last week so now we get to uh i we did a small very very small thanksgiving gathering uh with my family here last weekend and while we were there we went to visit a friend of my dad's um from back where he grew up in uh went to school and stuff and this guy ha- got his hand on what i believe is a 71 or 2 maverick uh which in the 70s was a pro stock car okay um and so i know dusty is like the biggest 70s and 80s pro stock racing nerd so he knows a lot more about the stuff and gets a lot more jazzed up about it than, than I do. Uh, not that I don't think this stuff is cool. Cause I think it's about as cool of racing as it gets. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this, this was, I, I we're fairly certain this was basically a race car. It's entire life. Um, it's a 71 or two. The guy who knows an incredible amount about the history of the car said that it was built in 73 or maybe 74. Um, it is a chrome Molly tube chassis. Uh, the fact that it's my, yeah. my dad didn't realize that they made chrome Molly cars that like he thought that chrome Molly was like a nineties thing. 
Oh, wow. So, like, I think this is kind of like um, one of the first. Like, see, this is like seeing 80s cars that are made out of carbon fiber. Oh, yeah. Like, that's a, that's you know a really what I mean? good comparison. Yeah, for sure. Like, like it existed, like, uh, but it wasn't common. Yeah, like seeing, you know, Ferrari F40s that were carbon fiber. Like, that's this is the level of technology that went into this car. Jeez. When it was built. Like that that's the pedigree that this car has. I mean, even even today you don't see chromoly everywhere. I mean it's not chromoly is a pretty common thing in drag racing. Okay. It's a it's a so I guess for those that don't know, to my understanding, chromoly is uh lighter and stronger than mild steel tubing, and a lot of roll cages can be made out of it. Yeah, most but it's very hard to work with and weld, and it has to be TIG welded. Yeah, I mean, like and so it's yeah. not it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for us common folk. No, and I, I say most often you get a lot of people do dom, and then like you could get a thinner walled uh, chrome ollie, but like you know, like road racing, right. and like and especially at our level, think, you just don't see it. I think the big thing with road racing a lot of times is that um, you have minimum weights yeah. that you have to meet anyway, and that. Chrome Molly is also uh, incrementally more expensive. Yes. Yes, it and is. And when you have a minimum weight that isn't that far off of the production weight of your car to begin with, there's really no point in trying to save, you know, uh, if you have a 200-pound cage, I'm going to guess a Chrome Molly one's still 150. And it's not worth spending the money. No. And, yeah, so, and who, who do we know that's not pinching pennies to – fund their racing so i mean that's that's right that's so money spent I, elsewhere a lot of drag racing does not have minimum well at the time at least and i think even still a lot of these guys they didn't have they don't have minimum weights okay. a lot of that stuff is is more based off of uh most of those classes i think are built around engine rules more so than chassis rules um, and so then it becomes maybe more worth it okay yeah that, that would make perfect sense then so, like, my second junior dragster was a chromoly chassis. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. That's super cool. It was wildly lighter. <laughs> I bet. I would imagine at that level. <clears throat> like, uh, 16-year-old me would struggle to lift the front end of our mild steel tubing car, and I could pick the front end up of my chromoly car and lift it over my head with one hand. <laughs> That's awesome. Dramatically lighter. That's crazy. So, um, but yeah, it, it uh, um, the, the roof, basically what you see of the car here, the roof, the rear quarters, uh, those are steel. He has glass doors, fiberglass doors, uh, front end and deck lid for it. <laughs> it currently still has original glass in it, but he said he was going to change that out. Uh, make that Lexan. Okay. Uh, but then he's got uh, a Ford 429, which is a pretty hard to find, rare, sought after racing engine. Um, they're a Boss, Boss 429, I think it's what it 409, 429. Shit, I don't remember. I'm going to get torn apart by four guys on the group this week. <laughs> let, me, let me zoom in. Let me zoom in. It is a Boss 429. 
There we go. Boss 429. Uh, gotcha, bro. The the one that's sitting there is just a mock-up block with the real head. Um, he has an aluminum block that he managed to acquire, which is apparently quite a rare piece. I bet. Uh, uh, he's going to hang a pair of turbos off it with a goal of making a 1,000 horsepower, <laughs> which I don't think would be that hard to do. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty modest goal. Uh, yeah. Do you know anything about uh, the transmission? That's backed up by a transmission called a Lenko transmission, which okay. uh, are the coolest drag racing transmissions uh, known to man. I think these are cooler than sequentially shifted transmissions. I said it. It's super okay. So, like, let's before you get into yeah. it. So it's it's just a really weird design. So, like, you t- a typical transmission to to my knowledge, I'm sure a lot of people's knowledge is like you know you get the you know, the big castings with a bell housing and just like, it looks like a transmission. This one has like like all machined and stamped parts. So yeah, like your bell housing, which is, looks like it's a stamped part, which I assume is like SFI rated or something. Uh, that is a titanium SFI rated bell housing. Neat. That, I'm like geeking out over here. That (laughs) exact bell housing, uh, drag racing, uh, historian aficionados will really geek out about this that exact bell housing came off of a bob glidden race car which is a huge deal to the people who know who that is no shit wow and then it's just like a, yeah. like then each it's got three different sections or four sections um and the three sections are like little cylinders that have levers going to the back and then the back is like appears to be like the last gear it looks a lot like a rotary engine yeah that's a great way to describe it the way that it's put together and the way that it looks, it looks a lot like a rotary. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's just, it's very different. It looks like, yeah, three separate parts with the bell housing in the front. And then like, it would be, to me, on a normal transmission, it would be like the reverse gear or whatever. It's, it's like attached at the end. Yeah. So uh, each gear is on its own lever. And it's four. So when you're driving down the track, uh, you'll start in first. Uh Yank second, yank third, yank fourth. So they start individual levers. Yeah, yeah. So you have you have four levers, and then so you like to go to first, you would pull the first one back. So I, th- I'm I, gonna I, make some. I'm not. Yeah, guesses I, I no off idea. of based off of how I how I've seen these function, but what I think is if you look at the picture that you have probably pulled up right now. Yep. Uh, there's one with a red button and some wiring on it. Okay. I think that is the first gear lever, uh, and I think if you push that button, it resets them. Oh, that would make sense. I think. Uh, and I think that's also the one that you can use for reverse and neutral. Let's say one looks like it's got a, like a lock on it, like a like a um, or like a hand, like a not a handle. Yeah, it's like it looks like a yeah, pliers it's got, handle. It's got an extra handle in front of it. Yeah, I'm like not a, quite sure that one might be the reverse gear. I guess I'm not sure exactly. And that one is how your, they work. And that uh, one, if you if you go to YouTube and you search Lenco L E N C O transmissions, there's lots of videos of people uh, slamming gears with these, and they're freaking epic. And uh, to me, the only thing that is cooler than using these on a drag strip is if you're doing a wheel standing car with an H pattern manually shifted transmission. That is the only thing that is cooler <laughs> than a Lenko, in my opinion. That is- this is like as like nerdy race car drag racer as they come to me. I think they're so cool. I would, 
I would love to experience driving one. It doesn't have to be like this thousand horsepower monster. I just want to, I just want right. to understand the concept of driving this. So what I'm really bummed out about is that I could have really easily made that happen for both of us. Cause I want the same thing two or three years ago. Oh, no shit. Because so obviously this is a wild drag racing transmission. These are straight cut gears. Uh, there that's a monster. Like this is a 2,500 or 3000 horsepower transmission. Yes. All day long. Uh, Lenko makes a street version of this transmission, uh, which <laughs> okay. still has all the levers, still uh, individual levers for each gear. But then I assume that like the tolerances aren't quite as tight. I assume that they're not straight cut gears, that they're more normalized gear sets, um, that finding reverse is a little easier, that they're not quite so wild. Um, and a friend of my dad's, in Sioux city used to have, he sold it now, which I'm really bummed out about because I never actually got to see it. He had some muscle car. I don't remember what, but it had some LS in it and he tore up a couple of T 56s and he bought the street version Lenko and put it in there. Wow. I'm tired of dealing with these T 56s. I don't know what it is about muscle car guys and T 56s because my dad's gone through two. Uh, in his formula and i know people who road race with them and have beat the living snot out of them probably more so than my dad does with cars that make as much or more power and haven't had a lick of trouble so i don't really know what it is about muscle car guys and their t56s but they seem to eat through them i would imagine the power shifting that drag racers do is not kind to the butter-like synchros that the t56 has yeah that might be the issue i don't know because mine were chewed to shit and the guy that had the car before me thought he was a street racer yeah so that might be what it is i don't know i know, I know he the, said those i'm done with are, this shit and he bought a lenko he definitely upgraded i won't get that but, <laughs> but he sold it <laughs> oh that'd be cool though yeah yeah i'd love to drive so, those just to experience it yeah so, but then uh, I sent you one last picture uh, of this car um, that says Grabber on the side. It is a PBR sponsored car. I am like 60 to 70% certain that that is this car in its original form. Scratch that. 100% certain. We know for I know, sure. I know that it was blue and red and white. Uh, and I'm fairly certain this is the one. Uh, Dusty found this picture when I showed him the pictures of the car originally because, like I said, he's a huge pro stock uh, fanatic. So, uh, but I'm pretty sure this is the original car, and that is the way that this guy plans on returning its coloring scheme. Oh, that's so, super cool. Um, this, I guess, this car at some point. Uh, it campaigned up and down the East coast for a long time and ended up in some guy's hands and he was grudge street racing it. Oh, really? For a while. Um, he, he, he had a ton of history of the car. Uh, apparently at some point it ended up in the hands of somebody who owed money to the mafia (laughs) and it got traded to some mafia boss. Oh, we damn. Which is fucking Cra- wild. That's crazy. It's super cool. But uh, yeah, it, it was really neat to see. It. it was really cool to get an opportunity to be that close to to a car that's that's got that kind of history. Um, yeah, yeah, it was wild. Yeah, I really hope that that, that, that this picture. I mean, 
Yeah, I just I just yeah, yeah, that picture of the grabber and then and the livery from the seventies. I hope that that really yeah. is what it is. I mean, that's that's super cool. It's very close to it. If it's not, yeah, it's like the exact same setup. I mean, yeah. So, um, just real quick, uh, because I think it's a hilarious story. Uh, he had this little kit, this little white kitten running around in the shop, right? Uh, and he was it was kind of a shy little cat and. My son, which I'm really kind of proud about this, but my son was able to get him or like be able to make friends with this kitten who was fairly shy to begin with. But uh, apparently the cat's name is Pepsi. And the story behind that is that apparently here a couple weeks ago, we had a real we had a cold snap and some snow. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apparently this guy found it underneath a Pepsi machine like in one of the small towns that he was working in and uh, he brought it home with the intention of it going to the um, uh, taking it to the shelter the next day or two uh, so that it could be adopted or whatever. And that was a few weeks ago and it's still there. That's how that usually goes. uh, I don't think it has, I don't think it's going anywhere. No. Once you bring the cat home, even if you intended to go somewhere else and it doesn't leave almost immediately, it's found its new home. No, no good shop. Uh, every good shop has a shop cat. I've tried to tell Jess that. I'm sick of I'm just saying. I'm sick of mice. Actually, I tell you, I don't know if I said it on the podcast. Did I tell you about how I found this gigantic snake skin in my shop. No. Yeah. So I was like moving stuff before the uh, before I put the um, lift in, just kind of organizing, and then I was moving things around, kind of on the just be the north side of the shop where there's kind of a gap uh, where the wood for the for the wall meets the floor. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. And I kind of pull, I started pulling. I was like, there's an entire snake skin. And it's like feet long, like multiple feet long. <laughs> like, oh, so there was a full-size snake living in my shop. Nice. But that also might mean that there was no mice living in my shop. So we'll take the good with the bad. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> you just deal with some of those things I mean, sometimes, I, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the snakes here won't kill me. The timber rattlers from eight miles over there might, but they don't make it. Guard, garter snakes are fine, right? Garter snakes, ring neck snakes, uh, bull snakes. Uh, bull snakes are real assholes, but no, they're, not, they're, not, they're not that bad. They're not dangerous. And the timber least. rattlers aren't dangerous either, as long as you don't provoke them. They're... That's fair. They're a flea rattlesnake. They run yeah. away. It still so. it blows my mind that we have rattlesnakes in Iowa. I did not know that until like a year ago. I think that's like a somewhat relatively new thing. No, 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 no. No? No. Uh, they used to be able to hunt them. So I had a coworker that was like, yeah, we used to go to the quarry and hunt them. I'm like, you're insane. <laughs> but apparently they're protected now. So like if they're with, if a rattlesnake, if you have a timber, timber rattler, in your yard and it's not within 50 feet of like a, a domicile or a residence you can't mess with it like it's illegal to kill it you have to call the DNR and they have to come and take it and move it so like unless it's on my porch I really, I'm not supposed to kill them huh. but yeah like I got a, I got a co-worker that lives like just down the road from me and he said he's like showed me pictures of the ones he's had at his house 
It's fucking terrifying. They're huge. Like five foot long timber rattlers in Iowa. Had no idea up until like a year ago. Cool. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Snakes, so. man. Yeah, that was uh, that was my adventures in cars that I've had here recently. So well, that sounds like uh, way more fun than what I've been up to. I haven't done. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, say so like I've I brought the Z to Mooney, left it there for a week. Um, right. Realized it was in limp mode when I brought it to him. So I went back the next day. This is like a few weeks ago already. Um, went back the next day because it was that Friday I had off. And then went and diagnosed what my misfire was. And I think it was just because I had the climate control box removed and the ABS module removed. And the ECU talks to everything through that. So if you have them disconnected, it doesn't really work. And I think what happened was I I just had, I got nothing connected. I, I had the ECU out or I had the ECU in and like nothing else. And then I took it out for a test drive uh, when I when I swapped out that diff and did a burnout in my driveway. And then just like I did, the, I spun the wheels, stopped, put it in reverse, and then backed into the shop. And I never realized that I had thrown it into limp mode, so it's been it's been that way for a while. And then realized that when I brought it to Boonies and tried to put it on the trailer, it killed it as I was trying to roll up the trailer. And so I got that figured out. I hasn't done it since. And then uh, so I brought that back, brought the Porsche over to the shop, and that's that's in the sitting on the on the lift ready to go. We're Waiting for a few parts on the engines going in. I'm hoping to have that knocked out here in the next couple of weeks. Just need a few things. And then also got the 240 squeezed in there for now. But uh, other than that, I had a really, really successful Black Friday. Easily the most money I've ever spent on one one holiday sale. So I had... Yeah, so I, I've, I've had a three-page document for the Z to make it uh, not maybe not competitive is not the right word but to make it uh, in my opinion GLTC ready or at least to a point where I could feel like I'd, I'm not showing up with a a turd to a, a legitimate race so I've, I've kind of had that in my mind of what I wanted to do to make it GLTC legal and maybe not the last car on the track so I was able to find, like, I've, I've always wanted the Torque Solution Shifter because I had a cheap eBay one. So I swapped, I've got that on sale, swapped that in, because like, I mean, that showed up like in a day and a half. It was crazy. So I swapped that in, and I can't believe I drove with the other one. <laughs> like, it's, it's so bad. Um, just, I mean, just the tolerances are so far off. Like, so, like, I think I paid maybe. 40 or 50 dollars shipped to my door for the the ebay one and i drove that all of last year basically just to get the car running and at ppir was when i really noticed how bad it was because i kept going from like fourth to third because i was afraid like i like because if i if i would push it too far to the right it wouldn't be lined up and it would grind really bad going into fifth so like if you the tolerances are so far off. Like if you really wanted to in any gear, like if you, if it didn't really smoothly go in on its own, you could push it too far to the left and right and just grind it. 
Whereas now with this torque solution one, it feels like a bolt action rifle. It's just like ka-chunk, ka-chunk. And like when someone advertised it as being, you have to try to miss a shift with this, I believe them. It's night and day. Your mic's off. (laughs) I think you're back. Uh, no, you're not back. Keep trying. Your default microphone. There you are. You're back. Am I here? You're here. You are back. Yeah, I don't know what happened. It's all good. But uh, that's super cool. I think that like really nice shifters are the best. Yeah, I've I've always had okay because I had a B, I had a B and M on the SR20 setup, and that was I never had any issues with that. And yeah. then for the LS swap, everyone just kind of goes to the MGW because it's like. Kind of like a hundred fifty dollar, two hundred dollar shifter. You can you can uh, rotate it um, either like you know twelve o'clock, three o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock to get you know to put it where it needs to go. So I mean, everyone just kind of goes that route, and it's MGW is a really high quality shifter. And then with the Z, I yeah, you know, I just wanted something they ran, and then now I spent the money on this one. It's yeah, it's a really really nice setup. And then yeah, so I got like all my safety stuff. It's like my window net and, um, oh God, I should have, I should have made a true list of what I got. And then a lot of the stuff I, like I had it all picked out. So like I got like some of the pieces for my brakes, um, just like, yeah, just a handful of different things here and there. And then like I'm scrolling through marketplace, like see what's available. And this guy's selling half of the Willwood setup that I wanted for the, for the Z. And he's, and I realized, Oh, this guy's been sitting on this since August. So I shot, I was like, Hey man, what's your best price shipped in Des Moines? And he goes, well, shipping's gonna be kind of expensive. Let me check. And he goes, well, can you do this? I'm like, yes, <laughs> that saved me $400. <laughs> so like, God damn it. So like I was just in like in the mood to buy, so I got, so I got, um, so it'd be, so I can use the 370Z 14 inch rotors on the front. And then I got the Willwood six pistons and the adapters for all that. So that's showing up here tomorrow. That's, that's Thursday. And then today the rear rotor showed up. So it's three point thirteen point eight eight or whatever inch rotors in the rear with Aki Bono, um, two piston rear calipers. Those showed up. I mean, it just, I wasn't planning on buying the brake kit. <laughs> and then, um, next rev, um, motorsports makes a, um, an ABS delete plate box thing that you can also add a brake bias to. So you just take out your ABS module, you put this in, you, everything attaches right to it. And then you can run your brake brake bias off of the, the two ports on there. So I ordered everything for that. Um, they, you know, they didn't advertise a sale. So it was like Friday and I, I just sent them a message on Facebook. Like, Hey, in the past you've done a sale, but you're not advertising one this year. Are you doing one? And they got back to me immediately. Actually it was Thursday. It was Thursday because I was at home because I didn't go to any Thanksgiving things. It was just me and Jess. Yeah. We didn't go to Thanksgiving. We still got COVID anyways. <laughs> so I messaged, on Thursday expecting to get a response later and I get a response immediately saying yeah we're not advertising it's been kind of a weird year but what were you looking at I was like well this is what I want he's like well let me let me give you 10% off and we'll we'll do it right now 
Great. I was going to buy it anyways. <laughs> Jesus. Yep. So it was just, I, I was going to like piece together, but just buy everything that was on sale and then just kind of keep my eye out for the rest of the year. And then instead, I bought everything. All in one failed, sw- like just one swoop. All my big brake kit, um, all my safety stuff. I should have, I should have saved it. Like, like every, all the interior stuff. So, like my dash is going to be all done. All my, um, like my oil, my oil pan spacer. So I have that extra quart of oil. Um, like about all, like my my cooling mod. All like that's the only time the stuff's ever on sale. So like, I, yeah, I don't want to ruin that engine. So I got like um, the Pathfinder cooling mod. So on the on the 350Zs or like Stara? No, it's that bad. They said Pathfinder. The Pathfinder is what they advertise it as. Okay. But on the uh, 350Z VQ setup, there's like a hot spot where the coolant kind of gets stuck in the on the back head. On the, I think it's yeah. the, on the yeah, passenger my side. Omni does the same thing. Yeah, on the passenger side, I think. So what you do is you take the the pipe that connects the heads in the back for the Z, and you take that and you throw that away, and then you replace it with the Pathfinder. Is I guess what they, it could be the extra, but you replace it with the 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 manifold that attaches the heads, and it also attaches to the block and has it has an, a separate thermostat. So like, then you just attach that. So I got that included as well. So yeah, I went from not having any of this stuff to. I have all of it in November, so I'm pretty I'm pretty pumped about it. So the Z, I'm hoping I have hoping I have most of that put put on by the time it goes back to Booney, so he can finish the cage, and then oh, shit, I might have this rocking and rolling by mid January when I was hoping to be done by April. <laughs> so that means that you can take it to the, to the next GLTT event at Super Lab Battle at Coda. Is that in February? March. March. Oh, maybe. Yeah, but Coda scares me. Not because not because of anything besides just the cost of if I fucked up at Coda. Uh I figure as long as you don't oil down. Which I've done in this car. <laughs> well yeah, but now you know now you know what you gotta do to not do that. That's true. It's fine. Yeah, well, just you know. buy a diaper. <laughs> It would be if I went real, to Coda. I don't know why people don't use these. That's a thing. Like I don't know if you know this. Or if not. I went to Coda, I would I would have to buy a diaper. I'd be too paranoid because the, I don't know why they're not. Because it's a like it's a mandate in some drag racing classes. Right. I don't think we've talked about it on the show. Describe the diaper a little bit. So, if you Google engine diaper, Jegs has them uh, for a hundred bucks, and it's literally like a a canvas bag almost that uh, just sits around the oil pan and bolts to the sides of the engine. Uh, This one's universal. It's not SFI rated. Probably could get one that is, Uh, but has replaceable pads inside of that. uh, That just, if, if you have like, if you, puncture a hole in your oil pan or something like that, this will catch it all. Yeah, so unless you shoot a piston all the way through the block and stuck into your uh, subframe, Eric, it should be okay. <laughs> but, like, uh, I don't know. I'm surprised that this isn't a requirement for a lot more, for stuff. more road racing. Because, like, there are... <clears throat> 
there are situations where they're required for drag racing. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, it it wouldn't have helped me at Gingerman where the no, oil cooler where you, lines where you blew lost out. That. I mean, that's just. But I also didn't really. What it is. I really didn't oil down the track either. Like, like they didn't use shit to clean it up. Like it was shockingly little amount of oil. Um, yeah, but I think it was just luck, really. And because I got that bumper that has that big fiberglass piece on the bottom, caught a lot of it. Well, that's like that's one of the <laughs> things that like because I I actually talked to James Houghton about this at one point, uh, and he said they've thought about it, but the undertray of that car is is such a that it's all but impossible for oil to get down there anyway. He's not that worried about an oil down because of it. Um, which it makes which sense. I suppose he's probably not right or not wrong. No, I, I think he's absolutely right. Cause that's basically a flat bottom car at that point. Yeah. So just a quick Google search. Uh, it's a hundred bucks for the whole thing for a universal one on Jags and the replacement pads that go inside of it are $13. Damn. Yeah. That's not a, not a bad price. To to not be that guy, seems worth it to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, but I've seen the the hit list for what happens if you oil down the track at Coda or smash into a barrier, or so it's kind of terrifies me. I I don't think you have to worry too much about hitting stuff. I mean, I've that hit place stuff. is I've huge. Hit, I've hit I've hit stuff. It happens. I know, but that place has huge runoffs. It's designed for cars that go. 200. Way faster than you ever will. <laughs> Never underestimate the power of slamming into a corner workstation. I suppose. So, yeah, that's that's kind of it. I've, I'm back to turning wrenches. Um, I, yeah, I got the Porsche. I'll probably diving into a lot more here in the next few weeks. Uh, the Z, of course, I'll be diving into. Yeah, oops. And uh, yeah, I'll, hopefully, I can have both of those quite a ways along here in the next month. And if I'm stuck at home for four straight weeks, I'll be busy. She got something to do. Yeah. That all lined up well for you. Yeah. I mean, I clearly planned this out. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I don't, like, get violently sick. Yeah, that's Never worst really, case scenario. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So, anyways. Should we do some news? Yeah. As always, our news is presented by Apex Pro. Um, apextrackcoach.com if you want to do a little bit more research on it and uh, get your chance to buy your own. Um, if you use our code 1010 at checkout, you get a free window mount. I'm a, again, I'm a huge fan of this. I plan on using this on every car that I'm doing, uh, either racing or time trials with. I actually designed my um, center stack on the Z to include a little cubby, like a, like a, like a tray, so I could put my iPhone in there. And uh, it's it's like such shitty tolerances that it doesn't really open very well, so I don't have to worry about like locking it. But because uh, I was like, oh, man, how am I going to lock this? And I like got it. I'm like, oh, this is a Chinese piece of crap. So <laughs> it's not going anywhere. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm for the price of the admission, really, it's it's as good a data as you're going to get without spending you know thousands. So I'm. I've been singing their praises since I've gotten into you know, data acquisition and, and they're super supportive. Andrew's incredible when it comes to like uh, educating you on, on the data and where you can find time. So if you want to start dipping your toe into data and, and becoming a better driver and, and seeing the mistakes you're making and then being finding ways to improve them, uh, Apex Pro is really the way to go in my opinion. So apextrackcoach.com, 
um, reach out to me if you have any questions. I usually have loaners at events or if you're going to an event in the next few months and uh, want, want to try one, get a hold of me because I have two spares that I'm not going to be using for a while and I'd be happy to let you let you try them for a weekend. So yeah, reach out to me. Uh, Andrew got his, he finally popped his grid life cherry. Yes, he did. And he did very, very well. And he was pretty, he did pretty well for a car that was definitely not prepped to the limit of the rule set. Uh, got a podium. Yeah. And, uh, from what I heard on over on slip angle, he quite enjoyed himself. So pretty cool. Yep, I remember uh, watching him, and I reached out to him and said, "Man, you, you know, that's awesome. You know, first first event, and yeah, again, not a car that was built to the class, and he still he just yeah. finished. I think it was third. They already finished second in one of them. Uh, he, I think he finished third in one, and I think it was like f- fourth and fifth. Okay, I remember area watching the third. For the rest of them. Yep, I remember watching him finish third. I watched that race. Yeah, so pretty cool. Uh, side note. Now that I opened my Jalopnik uh, article for our first news article, and the top ad is a Jegs ad, and eight out of the 16 things on this ad are diaper-related <laughs> products. That's what you get for searching. Because I Googled engine diaper. <laughs> Damn it. Eh, it could be worse. Actually, yeah, we're going to get adult diapers later on I've, my Facebook. Yeah, that's not that's that's my, my work. Wish.com ad. All all of my work uh, stuff, because I was looking up break stuff over my lunch breaks and stuff over a while, and it's been uh, like Willwood advertisements for like the last month. So maybe now that I've purchased them, I can get new advertisements for things I don't need. There you go. So first up, Hyundai has finally figured out why it's Palisades. It's Palisades. Smell like rotten ass. Because they cheap. This out. is hilarious. It, this is it, super it's, it's duper funny. funny. So apparently, uh, the Palisade, which is their like big or one of their bigger SUVs, yep, uh, had a problem where uh, they absolutely rank inside uh, rotten, garlicky smell, like, like trash. Yeah. People compared it to a decomposing produce bin paired with chemicals. Gross. Uh, Turns out that what was causing it was cheap imitation leather in the head seats or the headrests. And it's probably like just the the little bits on the side. Like it's not actually the whole headrest. It's probably just like the the two like four square inches of of fake leather. Yeah. So... uh, I just think it's hilarious. Like it just seems like such a in, insignificant little thing. But well, then the, well, then the weird thing was the TSB was the first one came out as take it to the dealer and they basically just like tear open the headrest and like force a shitload of Febreze or Febreze in there, and then you hope that it works. And then when it doesn't, because of course it didn't, you have to go back and then they do it again. And then, if it still isn't fixed, because of course it won't be, then they replace it. Like, Why wouldn't you just replace it off the bat? The amount of time that they're going to spend messing with it, because of course it's not going to fix yeah. it. You're just, you're just covering, like you're literally covering the shit smell with poopery. It's not, yeah. it's not going to fix it. So yeah, it, yeah, I guarantee. Like this was one of those things, where, like. You know, we'll save a hundred grand over the life of these vehicles if we replace this little part with uh, 
with synthetic leather. And then, of course, they don't, you know, do the the full mitigation of the the supplier. And then the supplier, you know, sends them like, oh, we can save money if we send them this material. And it just kind of snowballs from there. And then you get these really shitty products on a very expensive truck or car. <laughs> yeah. So it is limited to specific trims. Yeah, like their highest. Uh, and apparently highest there level. haven't been a ton of people that have complained about it compared to the numbers sold. So they've sold almost a hundred thousand of these, and I don't know that I've ever seen one. I know I haven't seen one. If well, I, I think if, it, I, if it I did, might I just didn't blend in. But that front end's pretty pretty atrocious. I feel like I would have noticed that. I I see Telluride's I've fairly seen, often. I've seen a couple Telluride's, but I've, I don't recall ever seen seeing one of these no. that I remember. And for selling a hundred thousand of them already, I would. I'm going to see them every day now. Every you know when I leave in three weeks. That's but, probably true. But yeah, I don't recall ever seeing one of these. But yeah, it's, yeah. Fun, it's funny that the 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 highest level of trim is the is the one that gives you problems when it comes to quality of like like smell and stuff. You'd think like the cheap ones would be like you know the, the car that they're trying to save money on that that right. they have these issues with. Right. So. Hilarious. Yeah, super weird. Next up, speaking of seats, uh, the new F-150 has this max recline seat that will open up completely flat. So fold can, up, com- fold out. Fold flat. So you can take a nap. Backwards. But you got to get out of your truck to lift the rear seats, then get in the front, and then lay it back. And it's they so like, where do my legs go? You so you sit in the seat with your legs on the floor like you normally would, and then you just lay flat. That seems so incredibly uncomfortable to me, Robbie. You have to be dead tired to comfortably sleep that way. But they did design these seats to be more comfortable, like the uh, like an airliner. So like they have multiple components to them, and uh, yeah, maybe not economy class, but like more like business class. Uh, like seats like that. So they're supposed to be like super comfortable. And I think some of them even have like a massaging feature. Oh, I'm sure they do. Um, and this so, is, this is uh, only, only available in like the King Ranch and uh, I think some other like super high. The end. max recline seats will be offered in the King Ranch, the Platinum, and the limited F-150s. Nice. If you're looking to combine this with manual crank windows on your work spec XL, tough. Dang it. Which is a real bump deal because I spend a lot of time sleeping in my truck, my work truck. Yeah, I think, I mean, I I bet this is more common than you realize, like contractors or, you know, people that travel a lot for work that actually require a a pickup that still also requires traveling. But man, I I just can't imagine that that's comfortable. That looks so, to have my legs, to have my knees bent down and my feet down like that. It's not. It's not a good just, sleep. No, that's a that's a power just nap. Sounds incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, you're yeah you're doing a power nap. But that's what like, I like. I would just tilt the seat back like normal and crash like I do all the time. Yeah. What they need to do is make it so that the that it's completely flat below the seat, um, in the back. So you just lift that seat up, and then you have a re- a nice comfortable like twin size mattress area. Yeah, because I mean, sleeping in the back of the truck is not not a problem. Like you, you just throw a little do a little mattress air mattress back there. It's super comfortable. My boss actually offered to buy me one of those like 
mattresses that are designed to go in back seats of trucks. I have one if you want it. The, the air mattress one. He <laughs> yeah. actually offered to buy me one of those for my new truck that I still haven't gotten yet. <laughs> Maybe get the truck first. Well, we have it. It's at the shop. In fact, the the Splice Lab topper thing has been mated with the truck. Uh, but then they realized that they forgot to uh, hook up some brake lights or some shit. Oh, shoot. And so now the thing's got to come... It's got to come back out. Oh, shit. And we barely got it in there without breaking it with our forklift because it's uh, too big for our forklift. And so we're waiting. They were supposed to ship us these jacks that attach to the side of it that you can use to lift it up and drive the truck out from underneath it. Oh, kind of like those... uh, um like those campers. campers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the jacks didn't come with it like it was supposed to. Oh, of course not. So we're waiting for those to show up so they can take it back out of the back of the truck and wire it in correctly and then put it back in there again. Oh, what a pain in the butt! Yeah, and my generator's not supposed to be here till like the middle of January or sorry, December. So that's uh, hopefully that's here soon, and maybe I can start driving that thing here shortly. That would be sweet. Yeah, that would be nice. No, so, I, I I assume. This, these seats will be nice. I I don't think they're going to be worth whatever they cost. I bet they're very expensive. Yeah, I, I think it's silly. But they have five. They were awarded five separate patents for these seats. Wow. Which seems extra silly to me. I have noticed that uh, when filing patents, the more specific you get, the more likely it is you get the patent, even if it's very similar yeah. or something else. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah, if it's, if it's just like, I mean, there was, to go with like some other tangent, there was an article, or like a, someone wrote, I can't remember who or why, but basically it was an article that said, there's only ever been like really five novel ideas in the history of the world, and everything else is just like a like a derivative of that. So, right. ba- so basically, as far as it comes to patents, like unless you're getting very, 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 very specific to like a very defined, focused application, it's just a copy of something that's already existed. So like, I have I have, I have filed five, four, five, five patents already. One's been published, and basically, I, I in my opinion, I look at it and they're like, you should patent that. I'm like, why? It's not a novel idea. Well, it's very specific. Like. I was wrong to say that I didn't think it was a novel idea because it was, and it's published. But like it, it, if you just get very specific with your publication, it will get published. So yeah, I have. But it's not your patent, is it? It's that's mine. Is it? It's not. It's, uh, I, it's not. It's I don't own it. The company owns it, but like it's right. my patent. So you won't make money on it, even if you didn't work at Collins. Correct. I got a check for filing it from Collins but they own it. Damn the bad luck. It's very specific to my work. It, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it with me. Right. Well. So, and the one I filed today was, uh, that one I did by myself for it's the, the company owns it, but I was the only inventor on it, which is, I thought was cool. It is cool. It is super, like, that's a, <laughs> that's a very specific thing that very few people can probably claim in all reality. I'm, I'm waiting like we have uh, in our office at my house here, we have like our, cause Jess and I have both done like multiple degrees cause she's got an accounting degree and I got my automotive degree and my engineering degree and like some other accolades and shit. 
It's so like my goal now is to fill the other wall with all my patents because nice. I want I want my my plaques to go on the wall. So I'm nice. so I'm still waiting on my plaque. But yeah, it's as I've learned if you if you get very specific, like uh, for my, my my examples would be like for fuel nozzles. It's very specific to this application. Well, it's patentable because there's nothing else in existence like it for this exact application. So for these seats, it's very specific. They could probably patent five things on there easily. As much as, as, much as you think they couldn't. <laughs> Maybe it's not that they couldn't as much as they didn't need to. I won't, I won't disagree with that at all. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that exist that, uh, that are being patented that is yeah, just silly. That didn't need to be. Yeah. It's, it's a, that's what happens when lawyers run the world, man. Yeah, because sure. every, like even if you can't prove that it's even feasible, you still patent it. Because if somebody else proves that it's feasible, you own it, not the person that actually created it. So it's this whole thing. That's why Apple and Samsung constantly file patents. It's because if the other company creates that 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 technology, they have to pay the other company. So like if if Samsung patents an idea, and Apple proves that it, it it's feasible. And creates it. Every time they make it, they send Samsung a check. So that's why those two are always fighting each other is because they both patent ideas and then fuck the other company over. Ridiculous. Yep, it's, it's, it's crazy. Actually, actually, it's craziness. Uh, I saw a news article today about something along those lines that we may talk about Offline? next week. Oh, all right. That's cool. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of patent talk now, so maybe it's not quite so interesting, but eh. um, I don't know. We'll see. It's our show. So, That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly, Formula One wants to ban wind tunnel testing. This, Robbie, you're a big Formula One guy. I am. And uh, you do nerd. a lot of work, uh, like engineering, computer-aided drafting work. Yes. Uh, how do you feel about the banning of... Uh, wind tunnel testing because you know that this is just going to end up moving to just being a lot more CAD time. Yeah, so the idea is that wind tunnel testing is very, very expensive. Um, so yes. the idea being that, like, let's, you know, the Mercedes and the Ferraris and the, even the Red Bulls of the world, they have a bigger budget than, you know, Haas or the Williams or you know, even for, you know, not sports India, obviously, um, uh, racing point, but like, or even offer a mail. So the idea is that if they eliminate wind tunnel testing, that expense can be eliminated. And now you just, so let's just say that, let's just say Ferrari allocates $20 million to wind tunnel testing every year. Well, now if they take that out of the budget, then the budget can now be $20 million less. I th- and that's kind of the theory, but they're all making the assumption that um, CFD and CAD and stuff is capable of getting you to 100% efficiency and accuracy, which it's not, especially in aerodynamics. So, I mean, let's, you know, they'll, they'll spend millions and millions of, of, to- of, of money and time on engineering is doing you know, CFD work on their arrow and then they'll, they need to do it in a wind tunnel to prove that it's that last extra 5%. Cause I mean, 
CFD will get you 80%. That wind tunnel is going to get you the rest of the way. But if you throw a car on track and think that you're there at 100% with CFD only, it's not going to be there. It's not going to be not, not going to be as efficient as it could be. You had to make assumptions somewhere along the lines. It's not right. I mean, it's, it's that's just reality. So the only way I see this working is if they limit what they allow for arrow. So if they go to simple splitters, simple spoilers, simple ground effects, then you could kind of go that direction and limit the amount of CFD you would require. But right now, if, if you're going to go with the splitters and wings that have like 37 elements, you can't really do that because your cars will never be truly efficient or even safe. And I, and I it's air quotes simple because it's formula one. Yes. But, uh, I think so right now, uh, like, you know, so like, uh, Red Bull has, uh, Toro Rosso, which is a kind of a junior team, right? It's essentially. Yes. But they're not allowed to share car designs. Yeah, they're separate teams. So why like, can't they? So I think that would be, I guess, I that's politics for the most probably the right answer. But wouldn't wouldn't it make more sense to allow? Because most a lot of these teams that have less money are also junior teams to other, like in in essence, junior teams to other higher uh, budgeted teams. Wouldn't it make more sense to kind of open that up a little bit? Let them share a little bit more? You would, Yeah, you, you would think that it could go that way. But yeah, then at the same time, then you just have a Mercedes with four cars or a Ferrari with four cars. And then you, yeah. could, then you, then you, then you could look at it. Well, now you have Ferrari's budget paired with their junior team's budget. So now that budget just got bigger for both of them. And where, where I guess, and again, this but is wouldn't the, that the, allow it to, wouldn't that make it so that the wind tunnel would be a little more feasible? Yeah. But then you're requiring teams to team up. So who, whatever the highest ranking teams, yeah, are, I suppose. Cause then, then you're just adding players to each group. So now you just have, so, you know, we'll just, we'll use examples that maybe aren't necessarily true. So yeah, you'd have, now you would have Red Bull and Toro Rosso basically as one team. And then you'd have Mercedes and, not Williams, pink but Mercedes. Yeah, Merce- yeah, pink Mercedes. Yeah, so you'd have Mercedes and, and Racing Point basically as one team at that point. So they're, I, I, I understand wanting to do budget cuts and I understand wanting to like level the playing field. But I think by, you know, they almost have to limit the amount of design required rather than eliminating the amount of testing allowed. Because limiting testing is not, the answer it's it's it it just potentially puts a more dangerous car on track or an underdeveloped car so you have a car that you're like well on theory these canards are going to make it super fast but in reality it actually makes turbulent air in front of the left wheel only and then gets a vibration at 200 miles an hour and then it's super unstable 
which you would never know without doing it in a wind tunnel or on track. Well, unless our CFD is remarkably better than it probably currently is. Yeah, it's better than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. Well, so it's still not perfect. Is, 10 years ago, Virgin Racing had a car that was completely designed uh, on a computer. No wind tunnel testing at all. Right. Uh, it managed to not finish any higher than 14th in the season and retired 15 out of the 19 races. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Because, yeah, I mean, there's a huge gap between CFD and the real world, as close yeah. as it might be. And, yeah. and, when you're, and when you're talking about... Even if it gets fractions. you 80% of the way there, 20% is a big jump in Formula One. Right. And, and for a, a $2 million car that measures their tolerances in 10 thousandths of an inch, right? that's a big difference. Like, it's it's one thing to have, uh, you know, even top-level time attack teams not using wind tunnels. Right. Uh, it's a whole different world when you're talking about Formula One. Yeah. No, I... I Every time they say something like they're only going to allow this much testing or they're only going to allow this much um, wind tunnel time or like I feel like they're shooting themselves in the foot in the wrong and they're focusing on the wrong way. If they really want to go that way, they have to go to the point where the, those things aren't truly needed as much. So, yeah, like I, I think it's silly that the, the wings or the, 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 the front wings, like, yeah, it's not truly splitters, but the front wings of these things have seven different elements and then a bunch of other canards on them. If you, I mean, just if it had like two or three different pieces to it, you could be a lot more accurate with CFD. Yeah. So I, I also think that there's, they're too arrow. Like my personal opinion about formula one in general is that they're way too arrow dependent. And that's what leads to shitty racing because it, as soon as you get in dirty air, well, now you're slower. And, and that, that, in my opinion, that's bad racing. So I, it's great for time attack. It's great for burning down fast laps. But if you can't get within a couple car lengths of another car without having it dramatically affect the way your car handles, I think it's time to focus on something a little bit different, especially when you're trying to have a wheel-to-wheel race. So I, I would like to see much more simple arrow. I actually agree with you. That's weird. <laughs> we never yeah, agree. So because I, I'm the I'm the arrow guy. I get that. Yeah. That's weird. But uh I do think that it's a little too they're they're a little too wild and out of control. Um I I absolutely understand and agree with the fact that arrow should be limited in wheel to wheel racing. The I mean the fact that they had to add DRS which is like, in my opinion, is a gimmick. Like, like, oh, absolutely. Like, like, I fucking hate DRS. Oh, you're only allowed to have, you You have to be within a second of it, and it's only allowed on these laps. And it's just like, or you just make it so the cars aren't so dependent on the clean air in front of them that we never have to fucking worry about it. They could pass wherever they can, anywhere on track. The cars are equal. And if a car's close to another car, it doesn't disrupt them. So I'm... I'm getting on my soapbox about how I think Formula One needs to change, but yeah, I, I, more arrow is not the answer. And then cutting away testing is not the answer. And I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of opinions on the group about this, but that's yeah. fine. Yeah. It, 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 I think it's a good discussion. I think that, 
I want I want to hear your opinions on that, and I want to hear your experiences with uh, shady car sales. Yes, I do want to hear some sketchy car sales. Those stories. are those are the two things I want to see and hear this week on the group. So, should we shut this down, Robbie? Yeah, I've been super late. I've been super long winded to this for a while. <laughs> yeah, like uh, this is like the longest show we've done in a long time. Yeah, we should we should shut her down. Okay. Well, we uh, we'll hopefully survive for the next week and be back on. And uh, if not, I'm sorry. Um, if so, we'll catch everybody else next week. See ya.